Hello and welcome to the back page, a video games podcast. I'm Samuel Roberts, and I'm joined as ever by Matthew Castle. Hello. Matthew, how's it going this week? Are you well? Uh, yeah, I am. Yeah, very well. I'm kind of a bit chirpier now that E3's over and I can just sort of, you know, chill and not have to spend every evening watching streams. Yep, I'm very, very happy for you and myself as well, um, after being submerged <laughs> in games news for a week. So, we are joined by another special guest. So, Jay, would you like to introduce yourself? Hey, um, my name is Jay Bayliss. I'm an independent game developer and I'm one half of Byton Studio. Wow, we are not used to having people who make actual computer games on this podcast. That's like That's exciting. Uh, yeah, shockingly new for us. Um, so, yeah, Jay, tell us a bit about your background in uh, games development. I kind of like grew up mostly on like Nintendo consoles. Uh, growing up, I had a SNES and Mega Drive, kind of secondhand, and kind of grew up with those kind of pixel art games. I kind of like was a casual gamer, and then when I was maybe like 10 or 11, I started getting into, you know, games, journalism, reading about games. My biggest doorway into the world of gaming, as it was, was reading NOM or Nintendo Official Magazine, and it's later rebranding O&M, which Matthew's familiar with. All too familiar. Yeah, I was like big into that. So I had like, at a certain point, I think I had like a stack of every single issue published. I was like a an issue oh, one wow. subscriber, yeah. Um, and I kind of got like super involved in like the kind of online side of things there um the the O&M forum was interesting it kind of ended up becoming in retrospect this kind of pre-hub for a lot of people who ended up in the UK game scene I found in retrospect oh really um, yeah like I've talked to like a bunch of people and be like hey like it was kind of this moment of recognition of like we used to be on the same forum when we were like teenagers um huh. there's people who write about games people I've uh, worked with um and then kind of met who are developers so I spent like a lot of time making my own little like fan games and stuff. People used to make like uh, use like sprite rips and things. So I got super into developing pixel art um, just as like a hobby. There was no sense of you could make games as a career back when I was a teenager in like the mid two thousands. So I used to do like a lot of community projects and animations and stuff on there. I'm just kind of posting these again on like the Nintendo forums online, and it was never a, a sense that there was like a career behind it, but. At a certain point in time, I remember um, Sixth Form, which for any uh, US listeners, Sixth Form is kind of like, how would you describe it? Like latter... High school? Latter high school, yeah. That was kind of around the time when like suddenly Minecraft and Terraria hit in like kind of a one-two punch. And these were kind of like, oh, these are cool games. And then I would kind of like see them take off. I was always like told like growing up, you know, like working games is terrible. And then you'd read magazine interviews with someone who worked on some game for a long time and it was horrible and they made crates for three years and the game got cancelled <laughs> and they got paid pittance for it so i always had this like, expectation that you know making games wasn't a career but then around the time i was kind of um studying and i kind of like studied animation indie games became kind of like a viable career so once i graduated i kind of started working in games full-time uh i worked for a long time on a game called starbound and then uh following that a game called wargroove um, which was oh, kind nice. of a nice uh, full circle of, you know, reading uh, Nintendo magazines growing up and being really into the fan side of that and getting to publish something on Switch. What did you do, what did you do on Wargrave? Um, so I was uh, quite a lot. I'm predominantly an artist. Um, mm. So I did a lot of the pixel art animation, uh, character design, and then like a bit of the kind of gameplay design and some of the 
extra writing stuff. Nice. Yes, that was that was a really cool project to be involved did in. Did you do the dog? There's a couple of dogs. I did one of the dog. I didn't do the main dog, but I know the okay. dog that you're probably thinking of. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the dogs were very popular. Yeah, so following that, I... Uh, my colleague and I went full-time independent. We released a game in 2020 called uh, Lenders Inception, which is kind of like a small-scale like uh, Zelda homage kind of weird game. And since then, we've been working on a game called Cassette Beasts, which is a monster-collecting RPG, um, kind of open-world. It's kind of a throwback to DS-era kind of style visually. Um, okay. You know, kind of combining like low-poly 3D and 2D sprites. Um, and that's oh, what I'm doing sure. now, and I've been locked inside for the last year working on that. It looks really, really good. I mean, Cassette Beast kind of like um, what we're sort of... We've talked about this a little bit, uh, Jay. I hope you don't mind talking about it publicly. No, but the idea that, like, Pokemon is probably the next kind of, like, Nintendo series to get that big wave of um, sort of indie takes. Oh, we're already seeing the start of it. Like, um, so the game Temtem released uh, in the last couple of years, and that was basically, like... What if we did Pokemon but MMO? And that's kind of like a... And that's done really well, and that's on like every console now. Among the indie side, there is this boom of people uh, taking on their own... Cha- like, kind of take on it. I guess with Cassette Beasts, we're trying to be a little bit more distant. Um, obviously, there's this aspect of like collecting monsters. Um, and we're not trying to compete with Pokemon in terms of like... Like, Pokemon is like the ultimate like pet simulator, you know? It's very much fa- around this fantasy of like growing attached to this creature and it being really cool and you can pet it and you go on adventures together because that piece is more about journeying with like your friends side of thing so we're kind okay. of like a le- leaning towards like kind of like the characterization and the writing aspect um rather than catching monsters and as like i don't know like slaves like sentient beings <laughs> as slaves and then like fighting <laughs> with them it's more about like kind of transforming into them like weird power rangers i guess oh mm, that's cool interesting is, um, I mean, you should see this this DS aesthetic as well because that's uh, you know obviously quite close to my heart because the period I was covering. The thing that's popping into my head is like Spectrobes. It's interesting. Yeah, I, re- I remember I got Spectrobes when it came out. Um, I was definitely like I would grow up on anything that was like close to this genre. I would like devour. Um, mm. Yeah, it's interesting that like there's been games like Spectrobes or like some of the Digimon games across the years that have kind of tried to tap into this scene, and I think now we're seeing like more and more burgeoning interest in it, I think, is fair mm. to say. Um, I think there's now a point where everyone's realised that Pokemon is going to stay reliably Pokemon. It's not going to be more than it needs to be, and I think that's completely fine. And I still love those games. But I think there's a, like a kind of community of people who have grown up with them, and maybe you're looking for more things. Let's scratch a few of those itches. So mm. that's hopefully what we'll aim to scratch. We'll see. Yeah. So people can check um, art for that out on um, your Bitten Studios Twitter feed, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, that's cool. Yeah, we'll link that in the um, episode description. But you can check out what the game looks like. It looks really, really nice. And if you, you know, appreciated the art style of Wargreave, you can definitely see that the same sort of DNA coming through. But yeah, DS aesthetic. I immediately thought of um, sort of Pokemon Diamond when looking at it. So uh, yeah, mm, good nice. stuff. So yeah, I mean, uh, in terms of like how you sort of become sort of prominent in the industry jay like um what sort of game changer was starbound because that felt like one of the like the first sort of major early access games that just like caught a wave and then just became enormous like what was that like for like for you um kind of like as an up-and-coming artist that was yeah that was pretty crazy i think that was the point at which you know we're seeing these big pixel art games coming out 
and it was suddenly like people were paying attention to the people making them in a way I never had this feeling again when we we're talking going back to like reading O&M and magazines like that growing up I never had this feeling of individual artists weren't people you'd have like you know Miyamoto and the big creators but then like um I think indie taking off because you can create games with smaller teams and suddenly smaller creators have more value I guess it's fair to say um mm. and that's kind of like an interesting change now you can see like you can follow independent artists from project to project and kind of build this community of people who follow those individual artists and also like it's easy to network you know if games are smaller then people have more prominent roles on them and therefore you know you can talk about those things easier it's very different to kind of the perception i had growing up of you know you work on a game 200 people work on a game you're like a face in a crowd essentially that makes sense yeah so I think I first met you in, I think it was September 2017, when mm-hmm. I came to uh, Chucklefish to check out uh, Wargroove. And so then we um, we became buddies and I briefly lived in Brighton and mm-hmm. was going through um, a kind of mild existential crisis. Um, you were sort of my <laughs> a good coffee shop pal. Um, so, uh, and yeah, now we um, now we play games together quite regularly. So mm-hmm. I've, I've dragged you onto this episode to talk about Sonic the Hedgehog, which is turning 30 around the time this episode released. I think a lot of people are aware of this anniversary because Sega just did a live stream where they talked about a bunch of future Sonic the Hedgehog related stuff. Um, so, I mean, you know, Jay, I'll definitely have you on for more episodes down the line just so people don't think I've tarnished you as like the Sonic <laughs> guy. Because obviously, I, uh, you know, I want, I want people to have your sort of like a full breadth of um, opinions on games because, um, yeah, I think you're a, a great thinker on, um, on games. But um, so I've brought you onto this one to talk about Sonic. What's your sort of history with the series so i'm kind of at that weird mid to late like millennial age where i grew up with old Sonic, like the classics mega drive sonic games and then immediately switched to the kind of like the 3d era so i think a lot of people have you know in their like childhood memory it's very much one or the other but i think i'm kind of at this weird tipping point where my friends and i kind of got into both halves of that very quickly so like I got like um, a lot of the older consoles secondhand growing up. So I grew up predominantly on the kind of 16-bit. And then I had like all the, the old Sonic games like secondhand. I do miss the era of like being able to go into like a UK like video rental store and ask to see the box of cartridges. Do you remember that? And they'd pull out like a big plastic box from behind a like a drawer or something. And then you just get to pick out like tattered copies of like Super Mario World or Star Fox or like Columns. That's cool. That's, no, I never had that experience. That's like my memory of like getting games up to a certain point in time. So yeah, I loved the uh, Mega Drive ones like a lot. And then Sonic was always like cooler than Mario. I think growing like looking back, like I was big into Nintendo as well. But then my memories of like you know like Sonic One, Sonic Two, kind of burned brighter than like Super Mario World, which was kind of this like very hard, hard weird little game. But then you know Sonic is cool. It's he's designed designed in a lab to be extremely cool to seven-year-olds <laughs> and that like worked with me also they were very, they were very like great like sleepover with your mates games you know one of you could be tails on the second controller um it was early like early local like co-op which was really cool i think there's a turning point uh where i got into the 3d games and then i had had kind of grown up reading that they were like or up to a certain point you'd read reviews of them and then they'd be like oh this is crap. So I would never like get into them. And I remember renting a particular game. I'll go into this later. I won't spoil uh, my (laughs) 
future revelations. There was a certain point where I realized, actually, hang on, I think these are great. And then I would basically buy every 3D Sonic game up to a point where I got too old and realized they, they actually started declining after a certain point and maybe weren't ever that good. But um, mm. yeah, so Sonic is something that I've definitely been very big into for a majority of my life. Um, we've kind of seen this modern day rebranding of Sonic. I don't know if you've perceived this where after decades of, you know, Sonic games are universally crap and it being kind of a joke, the kind of company has leaned into that. And the Sonic branding that I recognize the most in like the modern day is this very like self-aware meme Sonic. But that's like so different to how I see like the brand and the kind of series kind of growing up, which is this very like earnest, self-assured, cool thing. Yeah. So I've noticed that transition too. And I definitely hit that point with the 3D era of the series where I kind of like uh, fell out of love with it a little bit, which is mm-hmm. part of the reason I invited you on here, uh, Jay, because I know that you sort of have more familiarity with that era than I do to plug some of the knowledge gaps. But um, yeah, Sonic the Hedgehog was engineered to be a mascot. We're not going to go massively into the making of the um, of the series here because there are loads of good resources on this. Um, I recommend the channel uh, Stray Fox on YouTube for some really good comprehensive making ofs on the games. But the top line is that um, uh, Naoto Oshima at Sega basically designed the character and then sort of superstar programmer Yuji Naka came in and helped build the game. And then it became this um, massive success, like fairly deep into the um, Mega Drive or the Genesis's lifespan. And then the, over time, there are a few more sort of Sonic games in the 90s that are, you know, considered classics. Then when the Sega Saturn hits, uh, Sega starts running into trouble. There's a couple of really quite interesting Sega spin-offs that come on the um, add-on hardware for the Genesis or the Mega Drive, the um, 32X and the Sega CD, which we'll talk about a bit later. So that whole era of Sonic is quite classic. There's a bunch of um, Game Gear and Master System games mixed in there as well. So there's a lot of Sonic at one time. And then it sort of goes a bit fallow in the mid-90s as um, the famous Sonic Extreme project fails to come together. And um, nothing much happens. But then in um, 1998, the Dreamcast hits and you get Sonic Adventure. And then this kicks off the 3D era of Sonic. Sonic Adventure is actually acclaimed by critics. You have to go a bit deeper into the series history before you get... Or sorry, a bit closer to the present before you get to Sonic being endlessly dunked on. But critics mostly liked um, Sonic Adventure. And then, yeah, from there, it becomes more of a multi-format series. The Dreamcast dies. And then sonic games are to be found on gamecube i think the gamecube kind of becomes a de facto home for sonic a little bit even though some Mm. of the games are Mm. multi-format and then you get to the kind of modern era of hd consoles and sonic becomes a bit becomes very kind of contentious to say that's very much a low point for sonic when you've got um sonic 2006 which is considered one of the worst games in the series 3d game features sonic um sort of romancing a human princess that's been extensively memed so we don't need to relitigate that um (laughs) and then yeah you get to Kind of, you get some like good games along the way. Basically, there's even when Sonic seems quite bad, there's always something good going on with Sonic. I think like like one good game every few years, whether it's like a DS version of uh, another game or you know Sonic Generations, which I'm sure we'll talk about. There's like bright spots along the way, and then you get to the modern day where. Um, Sonic still seems to exist as this kind of like big branding exercise and all of the kind of I have no real concept of it the the kind of like home console games that have been releasing since Sonic Lost World which is the last one I kind of played mm, and hated and um, and then so after that they've become kind of like almost anime tie-in games which is its own kind of baffling thing but um, 
yeah, a really weird history where it almost feels like there are multiple kind of like streams of Sonic in there. Like um, the kind of uh, it's almost unrecognizable to me as someone who used to who, who grew up uh, playing the Mega Drive games. But then over time, Sega's kind of rediscovered its lineage and you know um, uh, sort of like worked with like basically fan game developers to um, to kind of. Uh, you know, revive some of the better parts of his history, and also to um, build on that, with, even with like a, a brand new game in Sonic Mania. So it's a, it's it definitely had a kind of like a weird, interesting history. But um, the big question, I think, Matthew, for our listeners, is what do you think of Sonic the Hedgehog, and what's your history with the series? Um, so I, I dunk a lot on Sonic the Hedgehog, and what, this was a bit awkward because I was going back over uh, some end gamer reviews, and actually I was pretty generous to games which are largely reviled. Like I think I actually, I've, you know, for all my big talk, I, I've been quite kind to Sonic in reviews, which I can't really explain. I don't really know what happened there. I think it may be a combination of that kind of uh, buzz around some kind of exclusives on the Wii and DS, you know, when someone puts a bit of effort into something, you maybe gave it a bit more of a pass, which maybe explains some of that. Yeah, I had uh, yeah, I had a Mega Drive uh, when, when we were kids. We had a Mega Drive. Yeah, played Sonics 1 to 3. I don't think we ever had the weird Knuckles cart. And liked them fine. I was always... Uh, so when we were kids, like, there was a house across the river and the boys who lived there they had a SNES and we had a Mega Drive and we basically spent you know 50-50 of our time like in one house or the other so we kind of played both but I was always super envious of the the, the Nintendo stuff. That said Sonic well, I don't have as much of affection for it when I do hear or see footage from 1 to 3 I am very nostalgic for it. I love the sound of the games I love the looks of those games they're such distinct things but yeah, me and Sonic, we just totally part ways when he when he goes 3D, and it's just interesting hearing um, Jay talk about you know kind of being a bit into both because the thing I've never been able to wrap my head around is like the psychology of the modern Sonic fan, particularly like the when I was working on Nintendo Max, Sonic used to do really well, and the perception was it was doing really well with much younger gamers who couldn't possibly have had a relationship with Sonic when he was quote-unquote good in 2D. <laughs> and that's what I could never understand. As someone who went into Sonic only in 3D, having affection for this, what was quite, you know, I didn't like the character and I didn't like the, the gameplay, basically. And, yeah, so I was hoping this episode I could get a better feel for, like, what it is about, basically, Adventure Forward that had any impact on people. Yeah, so Jay, to um, kind of like dial in on that period mm-hmm. where Sonic goes from being 2D to 3D, what do you think kind of goes through um, the sort of, what do you think Sega kind of tackles there? What do you think they think about in terms of like making Sonic work? And what are the ways in which you think that kind of results in some real mixed affair games in it's, the um, coming years? It's interesting, isn't it? So like, you kind of talked about how there's almost like these waves of games. and It's almost like, Sega would do like maybe like a trilogy or like a quartet of a certain style of game and that's how they develop everything past the kind of Mega Drive era they do like three or four games in a particular style you've got like the Sonic Advance one two three done it's like Sonic Adventure 
like one two heroes done and then kind of like they always like kind of switch gears after a certain point so you have like the sonic adventure games which are very very different in kind of what they want out of the character and they have the, the kind of very earnest kind of like grand like epic kind of feel that they're like, striving for and then further down the line it's almost like you backtrack on that it's almost like people get nostalgic for the the wave before that which is like the mega drive era where sonic was simple there was less story he goes fast so then you have things like sonic unleashed and sonic colors which are much more stripped down on the story front and much more about like nice locations and you go fast through them with tails mm. occasionally it's almost like a like a back and forth of trying to figure out what the generation who was into the immediate prior series was nostalgic for is maybe one way of approaching it right um, and then so like we had that spree of like story light games and then we had sonic forces which was them trying to tap back into that serious style with like a billion characters and uh i haven't played that game it looks terrible uh from everything that i read it wasn't great um that's I'm the sure one where you can make one... your own sonic right yeah that was super tapping into maybe like the uh kind of like the dreamcast era of like sonic fandom um, mm. so maybe the next one is going to swing again to something where it's much more stripped down in the story and it's much more about like going fast in nice locations there's multiple aspects that people like to it and it's hard to make a good Sonic game I think uh, something I'm sure we'll talk about you can never please everyone but the brand is big enough that it will keep going so they'll keep trying things and they won't always work sometimes they do and sometimes they'll change gears after that anyway it is very interesting mm. That's that's actually the, the amazing thing is that I don't I don't think there are there are few other mascots that could survive as many duds as Sonic has. S- Sega must just have such an attachment to him, or they're just scraping by what's doable. But by all accounts, like nothing post Mega Drive has ever come close to as big as it was on Mega Drive. Do you think it's the strength of like the character? There's something so innately kid like eight-year-old appeal to this character that every generation will they didn't even have they didn't even have to play the games they'll just like see this character in like mixed media or youtube videos or whatever and yeah well it, it must have that, that, it that's must... that's the kind of conclusion i came to like when um so for example you know uh, you know a kind of a, a handy sort of stat that shows this is one of the best selling issues of official nintendo magazine ever was Sonic Unleashed, was the Werehog on the cover, which was an abysmal game. I, well, on <laughs> Wii, I thought it was an abysmal game. Like, I think we gave it, like, in the 50s on on um, Endgamer. And, yeah, like, for, for some... Like, that's what I couldn't understand. It was like, who was looking at that and going, like, yeah, cool, we love this. You know, where did that love come from? And at the time, people were like, oh, Sonic actually exists like beyond the games in a way you maybe don't appreciate you know like people who like the cartoons or the comics or whatever um do you think there's any truth in that oh absolutely i think um after a certain point so i did buy the wii version of sonic unleashed when i was a teenager and i almost feel like it's it doesn't matter if the games aren't that great because you can see that like I know, it's hard. It's a really hard thing to explain. I can't quite tap into my own psychology on this. So well. um, <laughs> it's almost like there's an idealized version of Sonic, and it's just fun to see how close every game gets to that. And when they're bad, they're mostly not inoffensively bad, or well, they mostly are inoffensively bad. That hmm. like I don't have bad memories of Sonic Unleashed, but I wouldn't rush to play it. 
And I don't know why that is. Maybe it's, like the bar for Sonic is different. It kind of you get to allow yourself a different kind of expectation that is. I, I think lower maybe. I, I think there has to be a bit of that because so in the run up to this episode, I thought you know I better refresh myself on a lot of Sonic, and so I started watching a lot of Sonic ranking videos on YouTube, mm-hmm. and even on those videos when they were in like the top five of fifteen. Like, even the second-to-last entry, so the second-best Sonic game, the guy doing the video was still like, I mostly hate this game. <laughs> and you were like, <laughs> like, like, this is the second-best game, and I only like a quarter of it. And I was like, what is it in your psychology that allows that to happen? In Mario, you'd have to go, like, 20 games deep before you got to, okay, this is maybe less than a masterpiece. But Sonic, it was like, even the number one entry, it's like, oh, God. Like, as long as you ignore this stuff, which, like, makes me just want to sort of jump off a cliff, um, this is the best Sonic game. Yeah, unless that's just, like, part of the meme of being a Sonic fan. I don't know. I almost wonder if it's... The closest comparison I have, and this might be way off base, but is, like, um, like, watching comic book movies before they got, like, actually consistently good, where... Uh, I mean, I'm sure Samuel has um, experience on this one. Like, if a film had a certain amount of references or it had this feel like it was tapping into some aspect in some way of this comic property that you liked, then that film would be a success, even if the film wasn't very good. And Mm -hmm. I almost feel like that is almost what it feels like in that kind of era of, like, middling Sonic games, you know? There are some Mm -hmm. aspects of the old games that I remember... And it taps into some imagery, iconography, or musical kind of feel. And if it, like, ticks enough boxes, not enough to necessarily make it, like, a great or particularly good game, it's still, like, you're you're not coming out of that feeling like you were ripped off. Mm. Yeah. I think a big part of it is that even in those eras where there are patchy Sonic games, there are usually some other good Sonic games around it. So... Or at least like some Sonic games aren't like totally bad. So um, Sonic 2006 is released very close to uh, Sonic Rush on the DS, for example, mm. which I don't think is like amazing, but was a 2D Sonic game. Um, I think it's a bit too a bit too fast moving, um, personally, and a bit too focused on like um, whacking a boost button, which is a, a problem I have with most of the 3D Sonics actually. But the um, the it's still a, a pretty good 2D Sonic game that releases alongside, uh, you know, a kind of a 3D game that's considered a disaster on home consoles, basically. Mm-hmm. And mm. this kind of this tracks through the um, GameCube era as well. Where I mean, I don't know, Sonic Heroes is actually a big selling game. I was looking it up; it sold almost four million copies. That was oh, wow. So we're probably you probably find that's actually a huge moment for like um, creating uh, Sonic fans, Matthew, like you referenced, like people who mm. you can plausibly see five years later buying a copy of official Nintendo magazine that has Sonic Unleashed on the cover. I can see that being um plausible 100 percent. like i i know people who are like a couple years younger than me and i've spoken to them about this recently and they said sonic heroes was their childhood sonic game they loved it and they wanted they bought future games hoping it was close to sonic heroes which i'm sure will make a lot of people feel very old (laughs) here's the other thing as well sega i mean this character more than any other Sega is so, so good at making sure that you can play it on every single format imaginable. Mm. So next year we're going to see um, Sonic Origins, this collection that brings um, Sonic uh, Sonic 2, uh, Sonic 3 and Knuckles, and Sonic CD into one collection for modern consoles. And, you know, 
this sort of when I got back into Sonic and um, well, I say back into Sonic, basically I was like I turned 17 or 18 and then I just bought Sonic Mega Collection on PS2. And suddenly I had every single Sonic game, including some quite obscure ones in, in one place. And I think that reheating Sonic in these compilation packages has also kept the character evergreen because, oh, yeah, yeah, you could, I, I own Sonic the Hedgehog on the iPod, not the iPhone, the iPod, like you could yes. play it <laughs> with the buttons on the iPod. Um, did it work properly? Not really, but you know, it was, that just shows how kind of pervasive Sonic is. He, like his greatest hits never really go away. And I think that's quite key to keeping his appeal sort of like a seemingly evergreen. My buddy um, had the same version on the uh, the big old chunky iPod. I remember <laughs> um, him playing through that and one one hundred percenting Sonic One during like English class with the big wheel. <laughs> very <laughs> difficult process. That's a very of its time kind of anecdote. That is, um, <laughs> <laughs> but I uh, I appreciate it. I mean, um, yeah. At the same time, as well, like even when Sonic Heroes is um, you know sort of has a mixed critical reception, you have the Sonic Advance games, which. I think they're a kind of mixed bag, but I think the first one and the second one are pretty good. The first one in particular I really liked. I played a lot of that at the time. And so, yeah, uh, it's it's always been kind of kept around sort of um, good and bad. And at the same time, like the modern games, I think the problem that Sega kind of always hit was they could never figure out how to make Sonic work in 3D in a mm. way that kind of like balanced the speed well with like good exploration and platforming, which is what the Mega Drive... This is, I think, the key to the Mega Drive game success is that they are they're not that fast they're like pretty fast and they have like set PC moments but you, you can also explore and find different pathways and different power-ups and stuff and there's there are rewards for doing that you can speed run it but you don't have to play it that way and I think that's what Sonic loses when you get to the Unleashed era where you do have this amazing spectacle in Sonic Unleashed when you're not playing as the Werehog where you're just running through these kind of like um, real world locations and it's um, you know very fast and beautiful but it's not a great platformer. It's kind of like whack the boost button and then just sort of like um, home in on enemies to kill them and but that's, move on. I always felt like the homing attack was basically them putting their hands up and saying, "Yeah, he's an uncontrollable mess." <laughs> like, yeah. like this is a ba- this is a fundamentally broken character, and this is our fix to it. And our fix becomes like the core component of of like all these games for fifteen years, <laughs> which is just mad. Like Nintendo would never let that happen. <laughs> Yeah. I also feel like they were a bit like so when you talk about Sonic Unleashed, um I feel like that was a point where they hit the the HD era and it suddenly becomes more expensive to make world content in games and they've they came up with this formula for Unleashed which is like go very fast through a world that looks very pretty um for its time and still holds it pretty well, but it's expensive to like make like raw game content when you're mm. going through the content that fast. So one of um I kind of like talk about this um in my notes later on, but like one of the issues with the kind of HD era is that the games become very short because I guess it becomes much more expensive to make the game longer, I guess, at that point. Mm. That's a good point. I hadn't really thought about that, but yeah, obviously, <laughs> you know, they should have slowed it right down, gone like walking simulator with it. They should have had Sonic walking wistfully through like Greece. <laughs> while he picks up audio logs of like big the cat it's like dear esther that'd be amazing See, i was thinking i immediately thought of the trip when you said that like steve coogan and rob Brydon. <laughs> <laughs> um but yeah i uh I, that's a good point jay so you think that the werehog stuff because you're moving slowly they don't have to create as much like level content basically oh, to uh, i would definitely like they had this issue of we have to like 
pad this game out. And this is an issue, again, that a lot of the 3D games have, is we only have so many, like, asset sets for a world. And, like, um, so, like, okay, we've created this pool of world assets for a Greece level. Um, what can we do to make it so you don't go through this in, like, two minutes? And the warehouse being this, like, strange kind of stripped-down Death May Cry-esque gameplay where you're going through these worlds very slowly gets... Like, something of their money's worth, I guess, out of that. Um, just to kind of, like, throw a bit of my personal history into into this, because um, I suppose I I drove the um, creationist episode more than Matthew, so if you must blame someone, blame me. <laughs> Basically, um, Sonic 1 was the first game that I... First good game I ever played. Like, my aunt and uncle had a, a Mega Drive, and um, I had played, like, Mario is Missing, an educational game on my um, parents' old uh, PC, but we didn't have, like, games, as it were. So seeing this in action was amazing. And I think, like, um, I think the lack of story does is part of the reason I have a much more affection for this early era of Sonic games and less so for later. Like, when Sonic starts sounding like a kind of, like, valley girl, um, I just, that doesn't quite do it for me. I just, I don't... I don't have any kind of investment in Sonic lore. I thought Sonic was cool as a kid because he he didn't say anything. He just ran around like destroying robots. And then um, in these quite muted levels, that's the weird thing about Sonic 1. We'll talk about this later, but it's um it's not that colourful a game, the first Sonic game. The later ones are much more sort of like cute and um, full of kind of like weird characters and stuff. But um, Sonic 1 was quite a muted sort of game. And I, I don't know, like, enough for my adult kind of, like, aunt and uncle to to buy it and enjoy it, I suppose. But, um, yeah, the other kind of weird thing about Sonic's popularity in Europe is that, obviously, the um, Mega Drive is extremely popular here. Sega really had a kind of um, sort of stranglehold on the market and, um, you know, were definitely kind of, like, doing better here than they were in America. And that kind of led to things like Sonic the Comic, where... There is this kind of weird legacy sort of interest in Sonic that comes from people reading these like fairly good for what they were comic stories from the um, from the early to mid nineties. So Sonic does have a kind of very specific UK history that I don't think is replicated by other countries. Um, do you think there's something in that, Jay? Yeah, um, and then we had things like the Sega World in London, which was this kind of big nineties arcade as well. Um, there is something very like uh, like. Anton Deck about Sonic, isn't it? He's this kind of cool, kind of winking. I know he he kind of appeals to an English kind of kind of kid appeal. There's something he's very Dennis the Menace, isn't he? Like the English hmm. Dennis the Menace instead of the American <laughs> Dennis the Menace. It's hard to yeah. put my finger on, but there is something very kind of it works well as a kind of like a popular British character in a way yeah. that probably covers a lot of different like various influences and kind of kind of roots, but. I think that's fair to say. Mm. The, thing, so, go ahead. the thing that always throws me slightly, and um, going back to your recommendation earlier about that YouTube series, because I watched you, you sent those to me to watch as well, and about the making of the earlier games. And there's quite a big portion in each episode about character creation and about how careful they were to get it, you know, like how much hinged on getting Sonic right, and then the importance in those early days of like getting tails right and then knuckles right it felt like any new character felt like a a bit of a make or break moment for the series Hmm. and what i don't understand then is just the tidal wave of shit that follows everything post knuckles the sonic supporting cast that's that's my big beef i think 
with with the, with the three D Sonic games is they are the they are the worst video game characters ever created. That sexy bat, um, isn't there a squirrel, a crocodile, that big the cat? That were they from the comics? Like when did they happen? When did they get so careless with characters? I, so they... I think that was like the adventure era where, like, I almost wonder if you're you're. You're very right in that the original... They kind of made it a big deal in the original games that there'd be a new character. Like, one new character feels like a big deal. So it almost, from their perspective, feels like they'd set up this paradigm where it's special that there's a new character. So then if the next game has three new characters, that makes that game three times as special. And then maybe it just Mm. kind of steamrolls from there. It almost feels like the Sonic cast of characters is almost like a kind of like a, a band tryout where... If a character is responded to well by the fandom, they'll stick around for future games. And characters they all that stick get kind around, of a loophole. She's got like there's like twenty of them now. There's a even more that maybe made one appearance. Like really, if you there's were a graveyard to, of characters, there's like a whole the kind of crowd of them. Yeah, yeah. There are yeah. ones that we will like that will have popped up in maybe like one spin-off game on the DS that never returned after that, and stuff like that. It's it's real a real vast kind of. Uh, enterprise of sonic and his buddies yeah and th- the very odd thing about that of course is that that's where i think there's a big generational divide jay there are yes. like some sonic fans who really dig that stuff and then i'm completely switched off by it if it's not um sonic tails or knuckles i'm just like ah, I, I, I can't i can't i cannot do this sorry and um yeah <laughs> coming up with stuff like obviously shadow was a low point but the truth is that the kind of like wheels were already coming off a little bit when they did knuckles chaotix and that introduces suddenly like knuckles friends um including charmy <laughs> the bee and um uh, the uh armadillo guy it's like um it's just quite a it's quite a trip so it it does very quickly. Sonic becomes franchised very quickly, and then that just kind of goes out of control over the um, kind of adventure games. This era. taps really well into the kind of fandom aspect because all of them are kind of designed around a template, which means that if you're like a, a Sonic fan, you can create your. I mean, like the joke of your own original Sonic character is something that, like, even that the Sonic Twitter account at this point will make fun of. But I guess it was genius marketing to make all these characters kind of fit the same kind of visual template because you can draw your own sonic character who looks maybe approximately as good as any sonic character that they'll introduce past a certain point so it's very (laughs) much like it kind of it's it's that kind of my little pony aspect where you can create your own and they all look the same so they all look just as authentic as each other oh right deeply cursed matthew i'd love to ask you a bit more about um covering sonic when you're on the nintendo max so Nintendo, the Nintendo kind of games that come out of um, these these sort of areas of Sonic are are quite odd. Like they make some specific, uh, rather like bespoke Sonic games for the Wii. Mm. What were they they like to cover for you at the time? That thing I was sort of refer- referencing earlier. I th- I think just because they were making bespoke games and exclusives, we maybe gave them more of a pass. Well, some of them more of a pass than we needed to. Like. I think I gave I gave like Secret Rings eighty two percent, which is absolutely mad. <laughs> I mean, that's the Arabian Night Sonic, but that was like that was like one of the first big exclu- like post launch Wii exclusives, and you know we'd instantly had that little dip. I'd maybe been on the mag for like five five months at that point, so still kind of sort of finding my feet. I mean, we're still in the you know I'm still dealing with the whole Red Steel ninety fallout at this point. 
so you know I think my secret rings 82 gets va- like I'm probably more embarrassed about that <laughs> but it, it gets like vanished in a, in that sea of complaints which is good um it was quite flashy like visually it was it was it was quite snazzy yeah they keep making these bespoke things um I think they they nail it a couple of times I think Sonic Colors is genuine genuinely quite good and that's mainly because it's it it kind of steps away from what makes a Sonic game Sonic? Like, actually, they were sort of doing their own thing, and whether by accident they they just happened to find a combination of things that work better. For me, anyway, the, mm. the less Sonic is like uh, traditional 3D Sonic, just running into the screen and reaction tests, the better it is, which is kind of a, sounds a bit counterintuitive. Um, I actually really liked Lost World as well, but mainly because it rips off Mario Galaxy and anything which is even Galaxy-esque is... Is, is enough to satisfy me. They were definitely... They weren't treated as, like, second-class citizens, which which was definitely nice. It was quite refreshing. Like, like, all through my time on Nintendo Mags, Sega treated them like big releases. The Wii games, you know, we got developer access, trips, things like that, which a lot of people weren't doing in third party. So, yeah, they felt... They did feel like quite quite a big deal. And, you know, there was weird stuff like the Bioware RPG, <laughs> which, is, which is kind of a mad idea when you think about it. Um, but just the excitement of Bioware making a Sonic thing exclusively for DS was enough to kind of kind of get us get us super involved. So yeah, it was it was trickier on Gamer, I think, because we still carried a bit of a a bit of a kind of fuck Sonic kind of attitude, you know, left over from the kind of console wars a bit, and just his GameCube games largely being rubbish. So we were a lot more down on Sonic than O and M who kind of took him to heart a, a, a lot quicker. And that was definitely tough, like, when I joined O&M, because I just wanted to carry on with the, right, we all know Sonic shit, but the readers of O&M don't actually think that. Um, so that was, that was like, personally quite jarring. Mm, interesting, yeah. That uh, sounds like a real professional challenge, trying to change your perception on Sonic. <laughs> I feel well, like a little, was... it's not fate. Yeah, I, I genuinely did think Lost World was all right, but... Um, then Wait. any goodwill of that was instantly destroyed by that. Um, they did that terrible kind of character action platformer one, the one which I described as Uncharted-like on the cover. Um, <laughs> Sonic, Sonic Boom, is that? Yeah, it was like, move over, Uncharted. Yikes, here comes Sonic Boom. I think it's got 40 on Metacritic or something. <laughs> oh, brutal. So, um, Jay, for you, what's the moment that you kind of like fall out of love with Sonic a little bit? Um, so, again, I, I have a lot of kind of... Um, distinct memories of that kind of mid 2000s um kind of Wii DS era um where I would be consistently you know reading the coverage in O&M um buying games like uh Sonic and the Secret Rings and Black Knight that weren't really that good but it was just kind of fun to kind of participate almost um I feel like a lot of that the, the high watermark of that kind of Nintendo fan kind of embracing Sonic in that era was very much Sonic appearing in Super Smash Bros. Brawl, which at the time felt like the biggest kind of like big event. It was a big deal at the time. Like um, obviously like Smash Bros. now has everyone in it from any game regardless of platform. But at the time kind of like, oh, Mario and Sonic are in a game and they can punch each other. That was a big deal. I feel like I just hit a point where... So Sonic uh, Generations, which came out when I was uh, studying university, um 
was kind of like the high watermark of like right this was a like a solid game um i played that with my uh like my roommates um had a great time with that and then everything after that was kind of just a bit downhill sonic lost worlds i remember being like fine but kind of like kind of an irritating game to play um it was just like not as good as mario galaxy oh, i didn't yeah. really like strive for anything more um oh it had a good good soundtrack though there was, all the all the sonic games reliably sound pretty good and that's always going to be like a through line i think i think that's always even in the bad games i'm sure that'll always sound pretty good and then past that point we had um you know sonic boom came out and that was this kind of dreadful misfire where the development was this big story um and sonic forces was the one which again people slated and i haven't really jumped back in because i suspect we're gonna get more of these middling games i don't know um i think Hmm. yeah i think that kind of sonic generations kind of capped off my interest and i haven't really dove back in since that makes sense yeah so i suppose then like before we get into our sort of like list of the best sonic games what about the future of sonic so we know next year this um origins collections coming up featuring the uh, widescreen versions of the um, sonic one and two that are currently seen on mobile and nowhere else which is very bizarre but um there's uh, also going to be like uh, some kind of new sonic game coming out next year which i suspect will probably be like another sort of middling 3d one of course but they haven't said much about what it is and at the same time there's a remaster of um colors coming out which suggests like uh, like you say matthew and um, jay like it's it suggests that Sega is quite aware that this was the one that was acclaimed out of that whole Nintendo uh, kind of like exclusive set of games from them. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, the the future of Sonic then, like, Jay, is there anything that you specifically want Sonic to do in future? Or, like, um, are you just not invested at this point? So if... Uh, I always find it fun to see what they're up to. Like, I tune into that um, kind of Sonic Central Direct they did recently. It's just kind of fun to follow. It's kind of an endearing brand to me even if I'm not going to leap to play the most, like, the the latest, like, 60% Metacritic platformer they release. Um, I suspect if my, my theory on the pattern holds true, we'll kind of see a backfall, like, flip-flopping between something that ties into the kind of Mega Drive era in the way that I feel like Colors did. Colors is very much like, you know, you've got Sonic and Tails, and they go through colourful levels and there's not much in the way of story. And to me, that was them doing kind of a throwback to the Mega Drive era. Um, and then maybe we'll see another extremely self-serious, uh, ambitious adventure game uh, that is also a miss. Um, <laughs> I'm not sure what I want out of Sonic anymore is the thing. Um, mm. It's kind of more interesting to talk about than it is to play at this point. I'm happy with the games that exist. I'm not rushing to play anything new. And that is kind of the the purgatory they're in, aren't they? I think it's kind of very difficult and expensive to make like a really, really like universally appealing Sonic game. And if they release something that's all right, it'll still probably sell pretty well. I remember reading that um, Sonic Forces, which was slated critically, still sold super well. And anecdotally, a lot of people were like, hey, my six-year-old son loves this game. And that's probably the healthiest way to view it. Uh, these, you know, so the be- cycle begins afresh. Yeah. <laughs> and again, you're, uh, Samuel was right that they're really good at putting out all the old games. I feel like um, the Mega Collection was a big point of which they um, hooked a certain, uh, a slightly younger generation in that PS2 GameCube era 
to the old games and gave them a way to play all this old stuff. And that was a great collection. That was more generous a collection than they'll release now because that had all the games that are in the the upcoming Origins collection. But it also had um, kind of a few extra games like Sonic 3D Blast. And then it had a bunch of like extras with a... Like you could view all the old Sonic like comics and stuff. And like there was like a gallery of like kind of marketing materials and stuff. It was this big package. And I think... They'll always do well to, like, keep access to the old stuff that people like. So that you'll always have a new generation of, like, people who were born decades after the Mega Drive era coming, like, growing up, but still having access to those games and enjoying them because they're pretty pretty good. And then playing middling 3D games, then growing out of it. And it'll it'll happen forever because this, this is a successfully marketable character. They'll find new yeah. ways to keep him going. We'll have the movie that everyone thought was all right. And I'm sure we'll have new cartoons forever. And he'll be around longer than us. We'll all be dead and gone. And Sonic will still be kicking and doing backflips and giving a thumbs up. (laughs) Yep, that's uh, a good good unifying theory on Sonic there. I like that. (laughs) I think that it massively helps that the Mega Drive games are very timeless. Well, there's... um, So... To like have to dunk on another game here. I played Ristar recently, or Restar. I don't know how you say that, but a late in the day uh, Sonic Team, um, a late Mega Drive game, basically it had really nice graphics and is a more kind of like methodical version of Sonic. Like it's a bit more kind of puzzly, and it's really really boring to play now. Um, and I think that like when you play also like the Alex Kidd games, for example, they they feel extremely dated. Or uh, you know, this your kind of mileage on this will vary, but. I tried playing Golden Axe recently or Echo the Dolphin. I think a lot of these games kind of like date out a little bit. Probably not helped by the fact that you can play loads of really good um, modern sort of versions of these types of games, um, mm. like indie games. Sonic, I think, is very evergreen. I think it's because it is so fast. Like it, it feels very. It's such a responsive feeling game. It looks and it looks really nice. And it, it it partly is my sort of nostalgia. But for this podcast, I did play a bunch of them that I hadn't played before, and. Um, you know that I think it just holds up really well as a kind of like archetype of two D platforming. So I think that's part of it. Like you can re-release these games, and they are still good. Um, Matthew, I would I'm really keen to hear more on what you think about about this. Like, do you think uh, Sonic has any kind of future in it? And do, do you think do you have any kind of like nostalgic sort of I don't know will okay. to want to play them in the modern day? Not not really. Like I say, if I hear the music, I'm always back to a certain time and place. Um, I did like the um, Sonic Mania. I thought that I thought that was great, um, and I'd happily play more of that. Um, I think the one thing that potentially excites me about Sonic is that it is, you know, outside of Nintendo, a big character character kind of platformer that is very bright and very. Um, you know, kind of cartoonish and fantastical, but can also be on, like, platforms outside of Nintendo's own. Like, I am interested in seeing people, you know, apply, like, the power of, like, PlayStation 5 and the Xbox Series consoles and PC to worlds with that outlook, if that makes sense. Because, Mm. you know, Nintendo have a, you know, a natural kind of technical limitation and there aren't many people who are trying to do that kind of vibe of things kind of on cutting edge technology and you know as much as i don't like the games that they made in the kind of 360 era you know i can admire the 
the, the, the crazy craft and look of like Sonic Unleashed, you know, running through these just incredible 3D landscapes. And they're rotten to play, but they look amazing. And that kind of excites me. The idea of kind of that match of arcade imagination and technology beyond what Nintendo can do on their own platforms is maybe the thing I would, I, I'm, I'm like always a little bit interested in. Yeah. I think in terms of what I want from the future of Sonic, I think they should move heaven and earth to get more mania made. Like, everyone really enjoyed that. And, you know, it will come up um, in uh, our top five list in a second. But I think that that's just like a perfect example of what people actually wanted for so, so long. And Sega wouldn't give it to them. And then eventually it took this really interesting um, developer, Christian Whitehead, and uh, a team of uh, talented like artists and, you know, sound designers and stuff to make a contemporary sonic game and that's where i realized like that's all i really want from sonic now is i want i don't need the greatest hits played out necessarily but i think even though there are sort of like hard limits to the excitement i can get from playing a new version of a mega drive game i think that it's such a strong template to do quite interesting level design and you only ever really get a taste of that in sonic media and he has a few original levels but they all look amazing mm. And so, yeah, to me, it seems like the no-brainer is just keep making more of that. But it doesn't seem like they're going to, or at least they're not going to anytime soon. But, um, yeah. Okay, cool. Let's take a short break there, then, and we'll come back with... uh, Me and Jay both have a top five Sonic games list where we'll cover off all the classics. (laughs) I don't. (laughs) And a few games that aren't classics. back to this podcast all about sonic the hedgehog yes we really did that on purpose and um if you're still listening well done but um thank you for joining <laughs> us in this part we're going to count down well me and jay both have two top five lists of sonic games where we're going to cover off a whole bunch of the um best entries in the series i don't know much about jay's list actually so that will be a bit of uh, excitement for me to see what um he's put in there as someone who's played more of the 3d games than i have uh, jay is there anything you want to say about your list um, um as so- we get to it I've tried to kind of orient my picks so like each one sums up as much of an like a certain era of the Sonic games just so there's kind of like more to talk about that way. Um, mm. So my, like my definition of like best Sonic games is maybe a bit looser and uh, <laughs> we'll see. Yeah, we'll see how it goes. Get get the apologies in early. I like it. <laughs> no apologies. Yeah, apologize in advance. <laughs> well, so for me, I've I've actually just covered off all of the really obvious classics to make sure we have a chance to talk about them, but also right. kind of like to try and codify them into an order that I um, I'm sort of interested in. So before we get into that, then um, I was curious if there was any kind of like honourable mentions or weird spinoffs you wanted to discuss. Uh, the Dark Brotherhood already came up. A Bioware RPG made by um, sorry, a, a, an RPG made by Bioware at the height of its kind of powers, or maybe slightly before, just before it was bought by EA. It's this um, 2008 uh, kind of like Sonic lore-heavy, text-heavy game that's actually like pretty good for what it is. So, yeah. Matthew, first of all, did you play this, and do you have any kind of thoughts on it? Yeah, I, I reviewed this. I gave it 79 in Endgamer, which was maybe a bit generous. Um, my review focused entirely on the battle system, so I don't know if the story just kind of absolutely passed me by, but it had a... It was kind of more of a like Mario and Luigi type 
very kind of interactive sort of turn-based battling with kind of um, almost like quick time events where you kind of like Owen Danny kind of rhythm games, um, which I thought was was interesting. And uh, yeah, I don't really remember like how deep it was as an RPG. Like it didn't have like you weren't like romancing characters. <laughs> no, it's <laughs> like, pretty basic. Yeah, it wasn't like you were you you know if you talk to Doctor Robotnik enough times, you get to sleep with him. It's it's not Mass Effect, but um, maybe it should have been. I think the Sonic fans would have actually liked that. Um, my notes on this one are... I did get some notes on this one because it it's a weird and interesting game. Um, I did play this uh, when it came out. Um, it was like pretty good. I remember it being pretty fun. I think um, they did an interesting job in time to, trying to kind of like weld 20 years of like disparate canon, something you'd maybe call canon together in terms of the story side of thing. But this game is mostly well known for the fact that, like, at the last minute, they had a composer compose a unique soundtrack for it. But under circumstances that are not public, they had to remove them all last minute. And they replaced them entirely by downloading MIDIs off fan son- like Sonic fan sites, putting them all using the same sound font, like MIDI sound font they put together, and then just stuck them in the game. Um, because these sound fonts, these were all like different MIDIs. Um, using like different sound fonts initially which means that the final game's music has like a bunch of like missing audio tracks so like tracks that are meant to have like percussion just don't have them and stuff like this um (laughs) it's one of these weird facts that didn't come up when this came out i don't recall this game having like bad music or anything but like in retrospect you can like youtube the songs and it just sounds like like nothing like there's just bleeps and bloops over empty silence yeah i heard that too when 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 they sort of when when it did like the meme rounds about how bad this soundtrack was, I had no recollection yeah, of that. No, I no memory of it. It was this kind of blank spot, and it's very weird. Yeah, very bizarre that they would um, have this original music that it just sort of vanishes. And yeah, as far as I know, I don't think Sega ever really addressed it, like mm. what happened there. Maybe it was um, another Michael Jackson soundtrack. <laughs> <laughs> what, did he stop doing to... that? Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Why did we take a chance on him in like 2007? You know, like uh, <laughs> the, pe- the clearly they're like the guys. Peak, I think Michael's ready to return to the fold. <laughs> <laughs> Are you sure? Are you definitely sure? Uh, yeah. So that's that was a really interesting one. But also, if people want to like check that out, and I'm not saying you necessarily should. It's really really cheap on eBay. Um, so yeah, but it's um, definitely kind of an interesting use of all of the different characters they threw into Sonic. I believe it has Big the Cat in it. So it has um, everyone in it. Yeah. Everyone yeah, but they're all, you work with it. Like, isn't, I'm pretty sure like Robotnik is on your side as well. Yeah, yeah, I think he's one of your party members. I think so. Yeah. yeah. So it gets into like the psychology of Robotnik. <laughs> if that's what you want. It also Weirdly, ends on a big character. It ends on a big um, cliffhanger that never got yeah. resolved. So it's just kind of it's as in terms of story, it just kind of like does its own thing and then never cap- caps it off, as it were. But weirdly, it gets quite mass effecty later on as well, and takes you to these like sci-fi worlds that are a bit less kind of like familiarly, familiarly kind of like Sonic looking. Um, mm. Very strange game, but uh, yeah, definitely kind of product of an era where uh, Sega was going like super. You know, here's a bunch of different games every year based on this series. Um, so yeah, that that was worth noting. Um, none of the Game Gear or Master System games have made made our list, as far as I know, Jay. I don't That's think correct. they have for you, right? Yeah, so they are like I would say. They're not necessarily also rounds. I know Sonic fans have a lot of affection for these. Um, the first one I remember being completely rock hard. Like I, I have I played most of it, and it's really difficult because when you get hit once, you lose all your rings, which is like nightmarish. 
But, um, you know, I just wanted to kind of mention those because I'll be honest, I don't have the same relationship to, to those as um, other players do, but they were sure were a lot of them on Game Gear, so um, that was worth mentioning. <laughs> and uh, I was wondering if either of you had any thoughts on the racing games from Sumo Digital. They were all very well reviewed, the um, Sonic and Sega Racing Transformed and yeah. the three of them in total. I'm not a fan, personally. I, d- I just always saw it as a poor man's Mario Kart. I've had loads of people go, no, that's not true, and blah, 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 but... Um, I've, I've played them they left me really cold i remember O&M we reviewed because one was a wii u launch title and we gave it like uh, not it wasn't a kicking or anything it was like a seven out of ten and we got a really snotty email from one of the people who made it <laughs> um, <yeah. laughs> uh, which is which is colored colored my thoughts on it further. i think i'm in the same boat like it was just mario kart but not really as tight like mario kart has a very like very particular tight feel which is kind of timeless and they perfected mm. that early on the sonic ones just felt a little bit floatier didn't feel as good in a solid well, items aren't as clean also why is sonic driving a car he's like established as being faster than a car this is classic. it's the classic the classic nonsense of that game yeah i think that um that whole thing would have been much better if he was just like carrying the kind of like shell of a car but running um, like oh, a Flintstone, yeah, like Flintstone. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah, that that should have been how they did that. Um, I think they're quite good as like um, a sort of collection of Sega-related imagery. They're, yeah, I think that I think they're perfectly fine. But I, I agree, they're no Mario Kart. There um, are there were some on-foot Sonic racing games, weren't there? Yeah, that's right. Sonic R, I think, is the one that um, right. I can't that's remember that, okay. which format that's on. Actually, I'll just um, was that a Sega Saturn and PC game? That's uh, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I believe one was, which was surfing on like gravity boards. Oh that god, was Sonic, Sonic Riders. Riders, yeah. I mean, come on. Yeah, that was that was like right around the time that Sonic was being like mega slated as well um, in pretty much everything. But um, yeah, that's right. Sonic R. It was. Um, I think it was made available on the Sonic Gems collection uh, later on. I would say that stretches the definition of gems quite um, <laughs> quite far. But, gems uh, and a diamonds. piece of coal. <laughs> Yeah, I did buy that collection, though, and um, it was a bit disappointing. But, um, yeah, those are the kind of ones I wanted to note, and otherwise I think the rest will kind of come up. Are there, are there any kind of you wanted to mention, Matthew or Jay? Dr. Robotnik's Mean Bean Machine is uh, a, is is great, but it's just another game. It's just... Uh, it's Poyo Pop, right? Yeah, mm. Poyo Pop. It's basically, it's basically a reskin of a different game, yeah. And it wasn't, like, high-end enough to actually feature Sonic at any point, so it just simply features characters specifically from the early 90s Saturday morning cartoon uh, version of Sonic and features villains in those incarnations, and that's all it features. Um, I wondered who all those dudes were. They're just yeah, very they're, kind of weird-looking characters. Yeah, they're purely ripped off from this one uh, this one cartoon at the time. Sonic's had a lot of, like, you could, talk a whole, you could do a whole extra podcast around Sonic's, like, middling um, extra media products, but probably isn't <laughs> worth it. Um, do you... Yeah. Um, did either of you ever play the Sonic arcade popcorn game? No. So there was this, there was an arcade machine, and it was a Sonic game. I don't really remember what the mechanic was or how the game looked on screen. But as you played it, the machine made popcorn. Like you won a box of like sweet popcorn that the machine also made. So it wasn't like a home thing. You got like I played this in like a seafront in like Bournemouth or Poole or something. You were like running away from Robotnik or something, and like banging a big old button. And the more you banged it, the more popcorn the machine made, or something. <laughs> I've never been given food by a video game before. That's incredible. Yeah, I mean, 
Yeah, the, actually, that sounds like quite a cursed machine because you could find it years later. <laughs> and it's just full of like toxic popcorn. <laughs> <Ancient popcorn. laughs> yeah, that's the thing. After a while, that's got to be like in quite rough shape. That uh, popcorn <laughs> dispenser, you know, <laughs> bit of a cursed item, I would say. Yeah, but if you, yeah, I swear, I swear, I'm not dreaming this this thing. No, that's fine. I still rather play that than um, Sonic Unleashed, to be honest. But um, <laughs> yeah, I am. Um, I the only arcade thing I've played with Sonic on it was the. Um, there's like a little kind of basketball thing you can play and Sonic is inexplicably on the side of it but um, it's the one arcade machine that actually kind of works in my um, parents' hometown in Brixton so um, I ended up inevitably um, playing it a lot. But, uh, I thought you were going to say yeah. your parents' house. <laughs> oh, that'd, be pre- that'd be pretty good, wouldn't it? But, Just um... in the middle of their living room. <laughs> uh, so yeah, I was wondering if there are any other honourable mentions. Jay, is there anything else you wanted to kind of note here? Um, no, it kind of covers it. Um, there's just so many like like I forgot that Sonic Riders existed, but then as soon as it's mentioned, you just go, "Oh yeah, that existed." And there's there's just a lot of Sonic games, isn't there? Um, yeah, yeah. Like um, one thing I always coveted as a kid when I was reading like the Argos catalog was Knuckles Chaotix on the 32x. Yeah, and- that was. I rem- so I remember when the Sonic Mega Collection came out. Like the big emissions were like Sonic CD and Knuckles Chaotix, especially because uh, like Sonic Heroes came out and it had like all these characters from knuckles chaotix and then a lot of people would be like well i haven't seen these before these are the, the only characters i haven't seen and it turns out they're from this very particular obscure game but then the reality was that it wasn't that good apparently it yeah. was originally going to be like a full sonic game but then the sega kind of looked at it halfway through development and were like this has been downgraded to like a knuckles game yeah, it was once known as uh, a very uh, memorable title, Sonic Crackers. And um, it was like Sonic and Tails were te- tethered together. And there's a prototype out there that you can actually play on emulators and stuff for what that game might have been. But yeah, it turned into Knuckles Chaotix, which is uh, quite bad. I've played it. I played it this week. Um has one of the worst tutorials of all time, extremely long. And basically the tethering mechanic kind of like is the challenge of the game. They've basically made it so your movement and kind of like combat abilities are less fun and therefore your challenge as a player is to overcome the bad design decisions they've made to kind of ruin 2d sonic which is quite wild but also it should probably just be put into one of these collections anyway for like posterity's sake i love um, the idea that sega will like look at a sonic game in development and then like downgrade it like a list of like characters so like (laughs) If it's looking, if it's carrying on looking good, they can keep Sonic. But then, if it's not looking so good, it it becomes a Tails game. And then it becomes like a Knuckles game. <laughs> and then, if it's like really bad, you get downgraded to like Cream's Chaotic, or like <laughs> we, or just one of these like big the cat game coming through. Big the cat's Chaotix, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Good stuff. Yeah. So um. Yeah, they, uh, I was sort of thinking about mentioning um, Sonic uh, Dreams Collection, that really weird like fan game thing that got uh, made, but it's not technically Sonic, so uh, I'll leave that out. In which case then, Jay, let's get to our top fives. How about you go first with your um, number five, and then we'll count down from there. My number five is Sonic Rush 2005. Um, so like, I don't think I mentioned before, like that kind of Wii and DS era of kind of like Nintendo consoles was like probably like the peak of my like just kind of like joyous young interest in games. Um, and this was like a solid game uh, Metacritic 82% it's like a, a, a perfectly fine platformer it kind of followed on from the it was the same team uh, the Dimps team uh, working with Sonic Team so Dimps they're like a Japanese studio they do a lot of um, kind of mobile ports or like recreations of Sonic games and then like a lot of licensed stuff with like, like Dragon Ball games and stuff so they'd worked with uh, Sonic Team on Sonic Advance and Sonic Rush is just them doing 
Sonic Advance on the DS. Um, Sonic went, lends himself well to kind of like low poly 3D. I think he's a very like angular character, which fits the kind of hardware limitations of the DS. Um, this is just like a perfectly fine game. They it started off the uh, the boost button function, which I think is justifiably contentious. I think this is the part where they started. This is the point in time historically where they started to think like Sonic games are going as fast as possible. Um, but in in the uh, kind of like the two D, I think it works better in the two D platformer because it's easier to like kill yourself going too fast. You can throw Sonic into pits and stuff. So there is some sort of there's a sense of like strategy to it. Maybe um, the most remembered thing about this game, I think, in like retrospect, in terms of like I don't know the wider kind of Sonic fandom, is that it has a really cool and interesting uh, soundtrack by Hideki uh, Naganuma, um, who composed music to uh, Jet Set Radio, and like we mentioned before, that like Sonic has always had this kind of like always comes on top with like the music it's always like full effort and um this is a this has a really good soundtrack um it's kind of this kind of like funky kind of a kind of 90s throwback vibe to it it's very weird um somewhat infamously the last boss music is uh like a violin playing over a looped sample from a malcolm x speech um <laughs> that is what that really, is wild. yeah yeah you can look it up um <laughs> Weird. It's real weird. Um, <laughs> no. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I think Sonic Rush is like a, a kind of like a perfectly fine encapsulation of the like somewhat successful transition to like the two D hardware uh, or like the kind of like the the Nintendo like handheld hardware. Um, <laughs> oh. Yeah, I just can't get I can't get over that that factoid. That's like amazing. Um, I didn't know that at all, Jay. You actually ambushed <laughs> me and Matthew out of nowhere with that one. Wow. Um, yeah. I think this yeah. game is perfectly fine. I think this is a point where, like, um, like it's fine. You know what I mean? I think there's a certain point where you can't get too much better or too much worse with the 2D kind of side-on perspective um, handheld Sonic games. Um, and to me, this is maybe the, the best encapsulation of that era of these games. Yeah, and frankly, I, I just wanted to mention the weird music fact. I mean, that's a great fact for sure. But like, um, yeah, so it kind of follows on from Dimps also made the Sonic Advance games, mm-hmm. like you say. I personally preferred the first one because the pace of it was quite methodical. I don't think they're all like, I don't think any of them are quite as good as the um, Mega Drive ones. But um, I did play a lot of them and they, look re- they looked really nice, the um, Sonic Advance games as well. Really the Sonic nice, Advance um, games, I think, had really good um, like sprite art. And I think that kind of like showed like a lot of the uh, kind of like fan kind of pixel art and artwork and fan games would lean heavily into the art developed for those games because it was kind of like you had like the kind of proportion sprites of like the um, kind of Mega Drive era, but kind of with the designs and color palettes of the kind of modern uh, at the time modern kind of Sonic Adventure era, and it, mm. they look really good and all the like the, all the artwork in that game holds up really well, and it would be really cool to see some sort of like a I don't know like Sonic Adventure collection. Uh, in yeah, I love that. I, I don't know how that hasn't happened. Like, it's not you know, it, 
I, those seem like that seems like such a no-brainer to me and i think it's um maybe it's on my mind slightly because i just saw that before we started recording this there's a castlevania advanced collection that just got oh, rated yeah, yeah. by an um australian rating sport so it kind of makes me think are there actually like a bunch of gba games that should probably be on more formats that have just been kind of like left to it and are, are we maybe going to finally see that change a little bit um mm. over the next few years with like that advanced wars um redo coming out as well but uh yeah i sonic rush like I think perfectly sort of reasonable, good, like early DS game as well. Like I think a lot of people just bought it because it was around in the early DS mm-hmm. days. And um, yeah, I mean, it's quite wild that it's like a 2D game, but then there were like 3D boss battles. That is a wild choice, even though I remember the boss battles being pretty bad. But um, yeah, that sounds still, about right. Yeah. Okay, yeah. So my number five is Sonic CD. So this is a game that was released on another of the um, Mega Drive's kind of like additional peripheral things that are quite hard to track down now in Europe. They'll cost you a little bit of money to to get them. Um, Sonic CD then ended up being like a weirdly obscure Sonic game, mm-hmm. even though it was very much a kind of like, you know, of that era of 2D games. It was originally started out as a uh, Sonic 2, uh, version of Sonic 2 that was going to come to the Sega CD, Sega CD, but then turned into its own game. And what you actually get is a weird sort of like parallel version of Sonic 2 that kind of like uses a lot of the sort of imagery of Sonic 1 as kind of starting point for this like time travel platformer where there are four different versions of every level with a matching um, track, music track for every level as well. And it it's, let me just say, the soundtrack, the original Japanese soundtrack for this game, fucking rules. It's like one of the best soundtracks I've ever heard. I um, actually only sat down and played this properly for the first time, like about three weeks ago, because I knew this episode was coming up, I thought I've played Sonic CD before. I think uh, I know I've got to the end, like relatively close to the end of the game, but I've never played it with the original um, Japanese music because I played the Sonic Gems Collection version, and it's really, really fucking good. And so um, Christian Whitehead, who worked on the um, uh, sort of like uh, worked on Sonic Mania, what this is one of the first things he did was to like basically salvage Sonic CD as it was and to make it run in widescreen. But holy shit, the music in this game is so, so good. It's kind of like early 90s club soundtrack-infused thing. And it actually ends up making Sonic CD feel super credible as a platformer to me. Like, it feels really, like, almost cool for a Sonic game, which is a weird thing to say. But the music is just really, really good. Um, Jay, I don't know if you have a take on this one. Um, yeah, Sonic CD... So I, I think I've never played it with the original soundtrack. I think I have played the collection versions. Um my takeaway from this in that kind of era of like the kind of Mega Drive games was this is a really hard and maze-like platformer. Like they have these big levels and with these different kind of versions. It also has a really cool intro. Uh, everyone loves this. Um, have you seen the... So the intro to this that was originally on the original release is this like heavily compressed, almost like pixel art traceover of mm. this um, kind of like hand-drawn 2D animation intro they made for it. And um, yeah. when the Sonic Mega Collection came out, I believe that's the first time that intro was actually shown as it was originally made in this kind of like early to mid 90s, like OVA anime style. And it's this really cool kind of like animated kind of Sonic, almost like if this, if this game is like a movie, this is like kind of the opening credits crawl to it. Um, and that like image of this kind of like anime kind of cartoonish Sonic very heavily kind of influenced a lot of the work that a lot of the um, artists brought over onto into Sonic Mania. Um, so I'm sure we'll both talk about that later on, but um, Sonic Mania had like a lot of tie-in animation material that like, kind of draws heavily from the kind of like, really cool intro to Sonic CD. Um, yeah. 
But other than that, yeah, not too much experience in this one myself, honestly. I remember this being really hard, but um, it's very ambitious, isn't it, for this time? And it is interesting to see how they had this kind of, you're right, this parallel invention and then Sonic 3 with the main Sonic team from Sonic 2 um, kind of went on and did something different and kind of became ambitious in a different way. And it is it's yeah. kind of interesting from this kind of historical development point almost. Yeah, it's it's like it, it is almost probably as close as you can get to like a cult Sonic game mm-hmm. because it was like quite hard to find. Um, and yeah, it introduces um, uh, Sonic's girlfriend Amy, which you know I can't defend that, but <laughs> um, she is actually pretty much the only sort of like other cutesy character in it. Otherwise, it's kind of just it is Sonic running through these quite wild-looking levels, palette uh, in terms of like color palette. The um, they look really, really weird because of the time travel stuff. I think that none of the levels have individually have that much of an identity. They're like not compared to Sonic Two and Three, where the identity is really like clear what they're doing. But the fact that it kind of goes from like being in a jungle to being like Akira in the same level is just really like quite wild to see play out. Um, <laughs> because it has like uh, it has basically the kind of principles of it is that is that if you're in the future, then it's like harder. The game is harder. Um, if you're in the past, the game is a lot easier. There's, um, it's the layout is roughly similar, but they they kind of swap out enemies and obstacles and things like that. I would say, as a player, it's a really incoherent time travel system. Like I, I going through it once, I didn't understand how it really worked at all, <laughs> other than knowing that um, if you're in the past, it's basically an easier game to finish. But there's like a true ending to unlock, basically by kind of fixing each of the timelines and. I couldn't imagine doing that because it just seems too hard to do something like that. But um, to run through, yeah, a really pleasurable Sonic game. Just um, not the best of it of that era, but um, oh. well worth playing. Do you and think- what's the best way of playing that today? So I don't know if it's still available because I think they right. delisted a bunch of the Sonic games, but I own it on... Um, it got released on Xbox 360 and PS3 in a very nice version um, on like uh, the PlayStation Store and Xbox Ooh. Live Arcade. And that is the that's the way to play it. I think the um, Xbox One. That's how I played it. I just I, I got really I got stuck on a quite a boring bit in the Last of Us Two, and just decided to spend a waste a Saturday playing Sonic CD. So um, yeah, but uh, the soundtrack oh, it's so so good. It's when, on Spotify. Yeah. So earlier when we were talking about um, kind of how the Mega Drive had this kind of almost like larger appeal in the UK um, proportionally maybe than the US, and when you mentioned the kind of club soundtrack, it kind of takes me back to. Um, to that earlier point, do you think there's something in the fact that the, like a lot of the Mega Drive games were kind of tapping into this kind of like almost club scene aesthetic? And I think a lot about um, Streets of Rage one and two, which had this very kind of uh, like you know mid '90s kind of club soundtrack. And do you think the fact that they tapped heavily into that kind of synchronized with kind of like uh, the UK's kind of emerging club scene at the time, perhaps there's something I in think- that. I think there is something in that because um, I think uh, as Matthew you would have seen in that um, that Stray Fox video, mm. they kind of like they were big into like capturing the sort of angular CG art in the original Sonic of um, sort of like of what kind of like early CG looked like basically, mm. and that um, kind of like color and shape wise ends up being sort of like has some sort of crossover with like uh, I know music culture of the time like music videos and. Um, Weirdly, I've been I've been watching old episodes of Top of the Pops on BBC iPlayer, <laughs> and they're up to like 1990. And like every fucking like ident and transition in that looks like a Sonic special stage. Yeah, this, and... that, that tracks me. That totally tracks me. Yeah, so I think I think there's something in that. Yeah, but um, what's your number four, Jay? My number four is um, 
Sonic 3 and Knuckles. So now we're getting fully on into the kind of like the Mega Drive era. Um, mm. I'd say Sonic 2 is probably individually like the tighter game. But I kind of wanted to talk about this one just because of how interesting I think this is. Just because of what it did that like nothing before or after will ever do anything like this. Um, which is to say that Sonic 3 and Knuckles is two separate games that were originally envisioned to be one big kind of finale game for the Mega Drive era. But then like development ran on too fast, so they split it into two games. And it became the kind of the famous lock-on cartridge. Um, so for any listeners who don't know about this um sonic 3 is just a standalone cartridge you know you can just play sonic 3 it's a platformer maybe approximately as long as sonic 2 a little bit longer maybe um and then sonic and knuckles which is essentially like a sonic 4 is in itself like a standalone another standalone game this one introduces knuckles as a playable character so you can play as sonic and knuckles um but the top of the actual physical cartridge has in itself like a slot for another cartridge which meant that you could combine it with all the previous sonic games and create like some horrible hybrid frankenstein game and then sonic 3 and knuckles essentially is the intended use of this it kind of combines sonic 3 and sonic and knuckles into this huge long platformer game where like kind of progress from the first half when you're playing through the levels of sonic 3 kind of comes over into sonic and knuckles for example, um, you're collecting like the Chaos Emeralds, which are the kind of like the the bonus stage pickups you get through the first three Sonic games, and you collect them as normal in Sonic Three. And then, if you've collected all of them in the first half of Sonic Three and Knuckles, and then you get to the second half, then you go through and like power them up, and they become like Super Emeralds, and that unlocks like a special ending or a special like Super Form for Sonic. Really weird technology, and I think it's super interesting. And I did actually at some point, like, have this cartridge. And I remember bringing this to my friend's house and being like, we can combine our Sonic games into one hideous Sonic game. And that was kind of really <laughs> weird and interesting. Yeah. So I, I understand that this was, like, not known at release, that this was basically the same project that, due to, like, I think, like, marketing time restraints, was basically forced into two projects. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, like... Uh, when you when you play them together, it's a really complete feeling Sonic game. So this is number four on my list, actually. So we've um we've ticked that off. Like um, I think that I actually put this like lower down because um I don't have the same relationship with it that I do with the earlier Sonic games. Like it was um my parents were a bit too cheap. They didn't have much money in the nineties, so they didn't buy me like everything I wanted, which is you know fine. But like um that's how I ended up missing out on it. I borrowed Sonic One and Two from friends, but I um, never had Sonic Knuckles and Sonic Three. So this is another one I played through this week, and um I agree that the kind of the idea that you merge the two into one sort of like super game is quite interesting, and it it probably makes them for the most like complete feeling Sonic game of the lot because. You have these three playable characters, um, Sonic, Tails, and Knuckles. You can play through the whole game as them. They all have super forms. Um, I think Tails has a form that has like these little creatures called Flickies that mm-hmm. fucking destroy enemies on screen, like little parasites. Like that's quite <laughs> wild, really. But um, yeah, there's some really there's some really good levels in it. It's, I think it's got one of the worst levels in the whole series, though, which mm-hmm. is um, Carnival, Carnival Night Zone. Night, yeah. That is fucking abysmal. Basically, their version of Casino Night, but like with more of a kind of carnival clown kind of theme, and like just full of like a really confusingly laid out level, a lot of backtracking, which is never really that fun to do in a Sonic game. I, um, I remember vividly um, 
like a friend of mine at like a sleepover we were like we're gonna beat sonic 3 and getting to the infamous barrel um there's a barrel in this get in this level in this game which it kind of bobs up and down in like a physics way and it looks like you're meant to bounce it so high that you can like slip under it and go to the next section of the level but it doesn't work that way and if you attempt to do this you almost get it to do that but it will never bounce hard like i don't think you can really feasibly do it and especially because the levels have time limits on so i remember getting to this barrel and getting stuck and um the correct method which is not explained or used anywhere else in the game is to stand on it and then just press up and down on the d-pad in a way that kind of influences the platform to like kind of fly out the way um apparently at the time um the kind of there was like a sega cheats hotline prior to the internet and it would you'd ring it up and they would say like hi welcome to the sega hotline if you're asking about the sonic 3 barrel here's what you do <laughs> yeah that's like the kind of um simpsons joke about um please type in the number of your crime um if you if you want to select regicide please press one um yeah that's like um a really i i think i remember the barrel you're talking about and i think i only did it through like immense trial and error and uh yeah but there are some like really fun levels in this too. Um, in terms of music as well, it's pretty good. Not mm-hmm. as good as Sonic CD, I would say, but you know, it was working with more limited hardware. Ice Cap Zone has phenomenal music. That's really nice. Um, and generally speaking, just feels like the most complete of the Mega Drive and Genesis games when combined. I would also say that to, to people who want to play this one, um, there's a really simple way to do it. The only way you can actually buy it from a digital storefront now is from Steam. But then if you download it from there, you can combine it with this really nice mod called Angel Island Revisited, which basically lets you play it on widescreen, and you can add like other mods to it, change the visuals, and do level select, all this kind of stuff. So um, that's how I played it this week, and uh, yeah, it's good. Matthew, did you ever play Sonic 3? Was it, just, Do you have any memories yeah, I, of this one? I, yeah, I played Sonic 3. I, did, I didn't have the, the Knuckles cart as well. Um, I liked Sonic 3. All I really remember about it is is the the bit where you run along and that huge battleship drops bombs yeah. and it being like absolutely like what a visual blockbuster I and mean, that's kind of the uncharted of its day just a whoa i've never seen anything that big and all this moving stuff and then it sets all the level on fire and everything that, that was pretty wild it mm. does feel like they're going for like the last hurrah and getting as much out of the mega drive hardware as they can doesn't it so what's your number three jay my number three is um Sonic Generations, uh, two thousand and eleven. Mm. Um, yeah, didn't make my didn't make my list, but it's definitely my favorite of the kind of like three D era Sonic. Yeah. Games. So in terms of like what is objectively the best three D Sonic game to play, um, I would probably say like Colors or this, but I think I prefer this. Um, I think it's a bigger game. I think it's more interesting. Um, so this is kind of like a two D three D platformer hybrid. This is them building on uh, Sonic Unleashed and taking all the stuff that people like from that, making a game out of that, and then there's no Werehog sections where you're going through levels slowly as a big guy. I feel like this was quite an expensive project. So I remember around this coming, time this coming out, um, there being a huge marketing blitz for this. And this was then the first time they brought back uh, quote-unquote uh, classic Sonic. So the big gimmick of this game is that uh, Sonic from the Mega Drive era and Sonic from the, the modern HD era, like meet up through time travel and go back through like the, the most popular level from each of the games each mainline sonic game but kind of like reimagined in this engine so when we talked earlier about like the issue with these games is they have to figure a way to like get as much mileage out of these like i don't know asset sets as possible the classic sonic edition feels like a really like smart way of doing it because again 
the older Sonic games don't actually involve you speeding through levels that fast. And by bringing back that kind of old Mega Drive kind of control scheme, so you'd play through each level as like 2D Sonic or like classic Sonic, where you play through them all like as purely as like a side-on platformer. Um, and then you play through like a modern, like running towards the screen kind of a fast-paced kind of modern Sonic version of each level. So you've got like a lot of mileage in a way that feels like it isn't actually just padded out. It feels actually kind of like an earnest kind of celebration, if you will, of the franchise. This is the nicest looking Sonic game in terms of like the 3D games. Again, I think this is probably the most expensive one. I don't have like numbers on that. That's just my feeling I get from it. I think um, you're right, yeah. Just from the, the number of like uh, kind of like original levels based on older levels they had to build, like it feels yeah, quite yeah. like a pricey game. Yeah. And it's and it's really cool. It's just really cool to play through. Like they do Green Hill Zone. Um, they go back to Green Hill Zone a lot in the Sonic franchise, I think, every time they do a nostalgia throwback. Um, but then you've got like levels from like um, Sonic 2 and 3 and they've got like remixes of all the music and it all sounds great and it looks nice. This got a 77 on Metacritic, which I think is like a reasonable score. This style, this like fast running towards the screen style is, I, I think is not going to get better than this. I think there's a limit to how good it is because to an extent it does feel like you're playing like a almost on rails. The actual amount of interactivity you have isn't high. And probably if you were to like time out how much time you play in these levels, you'd probably realize the actual like total play time when you're like doing the fast-paced modern Sonic stuff is not very high. I know one mm. of the uh, criticisms for this game was that if you just play through and you don't want to do all the, like the, the extra achievements and all the challenges and stuff, it's pretty short. Yeah, I, I think this is um, a pretty solid game. I think one of the issues with the the fact that you're going through the older like going through all the games is that it starts on a high and then gets worse because. No one has nostalgia for Sonic Colors or like Sonic Adventure 06, like Sonic like 06 by the time this was coming out. So you start on the coolest, like most memorable games and then you kind of like dwindle off that point. Yeah, I think that's like um, a, a big problem with it for sure. Like when I got past the halfway point in this game, I didn't really recognize anything. And yeah, I thought this is probably nostalgia for someone, but I was there thinking, damn, <laughs> I'd love to have seen what Casino Night Zone from Sonic 2 looks like when you... Doing this game, I am very surprised they haven't done like a just almost like a Final Fantasy 7 remake where they just do all the levels of the first three Sonic games but using this engine. It almost mm. would have struck me as like a no-brainer doing like a generation style like let's do all of the levels from one then all of the levels from two. Yeah, but they do Sonic um, Lost World instead and it's, it's such a bizarre trajectory to these 3D games but um yeah, this is now 10 years old, this game. This is, um, you know, uh, oh, this was Sonic's 20th anniversary. So, um, yeah, it's uh, it, it itself is like kind of an artifact. I was wondering, Matthew, did it, you cover this one at all when you work on Nintendo Max? No, I, I, I think uh, I remember it being played and reviewed on other platforms. Um, it had very long loading times, <laughs> I seem to recall. Um, or was that Unleashed? One of them. I was All I'd ever see was the loading screen and then like 10 seconds of action. Um <laughs> With the, a general point about the running into the screen games, they look absolutely amazing when they're being played properly, and and you're absolutely acing it. But the second any of it goes wrong, they just I mean they literally skid to a halt, and they're so flat. Like the, I've always thought, the design is so fundamentally flawed in that it's a it's a gamble that you know if if it works, it looks brilliant, absolutely amazing. But at all other times, it looks rank. 
or it just doesn't feel right. That's that's always been my beef with the the 3D running into the screen sort of format. Yeah, same. But I think the fact that you've got like more 2D oriented levels here and, yeah. and the nostalgia. Like I think this is the best combination of like papering over the cracks with nostalgia, mm. but then also yeah, like it's um yeah, like you said, there's no werehog stuff either, so it is just the platforming. Uh, it's about I, as good I, as it can get, really. I like the idea of classic Sonic meeting modern Sonic and just like taking stock of what his life's going to become, <laughs> like all the shitty mates he's going to make, and he's like, "Oh no!" Yeah, how did you like, let me turn into you? You know, I just yeah, I mean, just what what a tragic what a tragic fate. I would love <laughs> like a reverse where you have like a Sonic Generations where you have the modern Sonic and then there's like a future Sonic, and you just play through levels of games that don't exist yet. <laughs> and they just make up all these future middling Sonic games and have you play through like a stage from each one. Yeah, like the like the end of um, Twenty Two Jump Street, but for Sonic games. Absolutely, hundred like, percent. Yeah, I gotta see that. I also think this game suffered as well because they had to pick the most memorable game from all the um, the most memorable level from all the Sonic games. After a certain point, um, they mostly pick. Um, kind of like the first level of the 3D games and the first levels tend to always be kind of like a take on Green Hill so most of the levels in this game were grassy playing levels strangely enough you know it's just, it, it, it is what it is really like there's the dangers of like covering the entire series and put, you know putting it all on a level playing field when yeah. everyone knows the only ones are the best ones but um talking of sonic nostalgia my number 3 i wonder if this is in your list jay is uh, sonic mania that make your list uh, that's my number 2 yeah Okay, perfect. Yeah. So, yep. So, obviously, a contemporary um, Sonic game made to look like the Mega Drive games, but with obviously the benefits of like modern hardware in terms of like sound and visuals. Um, I would say that, like, like I mentioned earlier, I would love to see a version of this game that's all original levels. This has mm-hmm. a lot of like remixing of son- Sonic imagery. Um, I think it's like eight classic levels to four brand new levels, but the brand new levels, including um, Press Garden Zone with all these like beautiful, like um, cherry blossom style tree effects and like. Um, just looks really kind of really unique as a kind of like level idea and just gives you a taste of what a full game like this could look like what was um how do you feel about this one jay um i love this i think so this kind of taps into like if this didn't have like sonic and sega this would we would call this like an indie game you know so that kind of taps into like my line of work and my line of interest it's like a you know like a bunch of fans coming together so like the history of this game is interesting right um we've talked about like christine whitehead and him being like a programmer, he got his start making like Sonic fan games, and then he made his own engine to essentially make Sonic like Sonic like classic Mega Drive Sonic games in like a modern PC format with widescreen and stuff. And then like he worked with uh, Sega to make widescreen versions of the old games, and essentially pitched this as like, "Hey, what if I made a new game in this style?" And that's like a really cool success story to kind of like. It, it, I'm I'm glad this got made. You know what I mean? Like, it's really cool that like there's this fan love for um, the kind of Sonic brand, which has always been embraced by Sonic much more than like I don't know, like a Nintendo embraces its fan game community or doesn't do so. Um, so it's kind of feels like the high watermark of the like enduring love of the fans meeting with the kind of like the games they were making. I do feel like this is not like you. Um, Samuel, you mentioned that you would love more games like this. And I feel like it's not going to happen. It feels like it was very much like a right place at the right time and the right group of people together, which is a shame. I really like this game. I thought um, if I were to, if someone were to ask me, like, I've never played a Sonic game, 
what Sonic game would you recommend to me? I would probably give them this one. You're right, like, the new stages look great. Um, is it Studiopolis? Like, the kind of, like, the um, the kind of Las Vegas-y world? Yeah, like, I believe look, so, yeah. Like a TV like a studio? Night. Yeah, really, yeah, yeah, really yeah. interesting. Uh, just great, great pixel art. It all looks great. It kind of introduces these, these like, uh, new boss, like, robots that feel, like, so stripped out of, like, a 90s Sonic game that didn't happen. But it also just holds its, like, it does hold its own, like, in the present day. You can jump into this with no nostalgia and probably find this to be a pretty good time, I think. I think, I wonder if there's, like, an element to this where, because it's not a Sega of Japan game, it's kind of, like, it's not really, not necessarily seen as on the same playing field as these kind of 3D Sonic games they're making. They're like, oh yeah, we made this kind of like side project thing, but like that's not the future of Sonic. The future of Sonic is like tie into an anime that you'll never watch. And like um that's kind of yeah, I, I feel like they should be they should Sega should have made like three of these. I it seems like it's a perpetual seller and like um the Switch sales and stuff. It's like People wanted this experience, and then they got a taste of what a modern, like, original Sonic game would look like. And then, yeah, like you say, it just seems like that's kind of it. And it's like, well, why? I mean, people like this. It was critically acclaimed. It's it's Sonic in a good Sonic game. It's just, yeah, they there should be more of them, but there aren't. And um, yeah, what a bummer. But uh, yeah, it's um, it, for what it is, it's very very good. And I, I think like the only reason I put it at like number three, I think it probably is objectively like the best one. Just from, yeah, I think know. in terms of, like, again, if you were to recommend someone who's quite familiar with games and wanted to jump into the series and you didn't want to have the baggage of some of the, the 3D games or, like, over-reliance and nostalgia, this is, like, a solid one. Mm, absolutely, yeah. Oh. Uh, Matthew, do you have any thoughts on this one? Uh, yeah, I, I, yeah, I re- really liked it. Just m- much what you said. I hope they make more. I was actually just looking at the popcorn machine that I mentioned <laughs> And apparently, it is referenced in in the, the like the TV studio level in this. There's oh, like a popcorn oh, incredible. bit. This, That's rad. I know um, because the people who made this are like uh, ninth circle of hell level of Sonic nerds. Like <laughs> it has incredibly specific references. Um, mm. Really obscure ones, like for example, um, in the studio opus level, there's like a tone that plays on a screen, and that's a reference to like a like a sonic direct stream fault that happened once where this tone played over it and then they put that in as a reference it's like deep level stuff that like us mere like sonic purveyors from the outside would not understand (laughs) yeah i I hear as reference like game gear uh games and stuff like that like one-off characters from those and like um obviously and and the and obviously like the best reference is the boss battle that is just mean beam machine oh that was incredible um, i was so happy yeah, it was a really good like reference. I, I just wasn't t- expecting it. It kind of like delights you out of nowhere, which is great about this. It feels like a kind of like post-ironic Sonic game, I guess. Yeah, um, it almost yeah. is like a reconstruction of like, you know, Sonic's been ironic and self-aware. What if we made like something that feels quite joyous and fun, but still has that kind of self-awareness almost? Mm. Yeah, for sure. Um, so yeah, Sonic Mania just um, yeah, just fantastic. So we're up to my number two because we've covered your number two. Is that right? That's Jay? correct. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, okay, so Sonic the Hedgehog I've got, the original one uh, here. So, I again, objectively don't think this is the best one, but it, since it's my top five, I have to put it this high. Um, quite a muted, like I say, quite a muted colour palette to the levels in this one. Like, it, it's a, a weirdly not that jolly game. Yeah, it's quite, like, melancholy, isn't it? I guess, like, at this point, you hadn't, like, Sonic didn't have, like, his many friends. You're just this one, like, little guy 
and you're running around these worlds and they're all kind of like ruins and like i don't know it's very odd isn't it the vibe of it yeah it is a bit like yeah like melancholy is a good word i think just quite muted and strange some of the music in the worlds is a bit like melancholy too like starlight zone's got quite an odd like sort of vibe to it it's um yeah a bit bizarre but just actually like i think actually in terms of difficulty i think this actually might be the most well balanced on it game like it doesn't have loads and loads of like fuck you kind of like falls into an abyss death which um you know the worst thing about sonic is like when you run into a, a death that you feel is unfair mm. and like that's a problem that um you know persists in you know even the best mega drive games it can be really annoying it's, this this is a really good beginner sonic game it's the first game i ever completed actually so um, it's definitely yeah. like probably the slowest one like especially when you get to like um is it like marble the marble uh what's it called like the labyrinth marble uh, yeah the, um, the set do you mean the second level with the yeah, um, yeah. volcanoes? And yeah. you're doing a lot of like standing around and pushing blocks. At that point, you're not you're not doing the like anything close to what you like would picture normally as like a Sonic game. You're not like running around really fast and like doing lightning speed reaction things. It does slow it like right down. Yeah, yeah. and then there's the special stage as well, which is like proper like I took some hallucinogenics kind of like wild imagery of like multicolored birds in the background and this sort of big spinning <laughs> sort of chassis of like of rings and like booping things. It's just really fucking wild. Um yeah. Uh, Matthew, did you play the original Sonic that much? You have any thoughts on this one? Yeah, 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 I did. Um I, I much prefer Sonic 2. I, th- I think Sonic Sonic 1's a little uh I don't know. Maybe it's because the I I don't really like I don't really like Sonic's jump and the fact that it does have the you know a bit more kind of slower stuff going on near the start. Maybe it doesn't show him off to his to his best strengths. I think maybe I played Sonic Two first. Weirdly, I can't really remember the order the order of it. The thing that stood out for me watching the, again the the little making of documentaries was um, it's very easy to forget the kind of crazy stuff. Yuji Naka was doing to make this work and that the reason he is famous is because he's like an absolute shithole programmer and because all the games he's like designed have been terrible <laughs> ever since this you forget that his strength was this and he does he does kind of absolutely kind of earn his place in the kind of hall of fame for what he does you know so while it's easy to dunk on him I don't know it just feels like he's like mismatched with what he's trying to make like he's not actually you know he's now in a position where he's beyond what he's actually good at, yeah, um, which is making impossible things happen on 16-bit hardware. I find it really interesting. He's kind of credited as Sonic's creator when, when you, he doesn't, it doesn't appear to really be the case when you read about no, the making of this really game. It feels like a group effort. Oh, Sonic was yeah. made in like a lab, designed <laughs> to make the the most 90s character. But like it was um, Oshima who made um, created Sonic and Tails as well. Like um, when they talk about how Tails is made in that documentary, again, it's a similar thing of like. There was a kind of competition to make a sidekick character, and then um, Oshima made the design, the winning design, basically. And um, yeah, it's like uh, you know, Yuji Naka could do stuff like making a level like twist around in real time and stuff that was considered quite revolutionary. So you know, earned his place at the table. But you're right; it's not really um, he's not credited as a designer; he's credited as a programmer. So it's quite mm. yeah, it's quite an interesting thing. Is that you saying no, Matthew, to a Billy Hatcher and the Giant Egg episode of the Back <laughs> Yeah, one hundred percent. Um, just oh. a man, a man who never found his place in the 3D world is mm. my Yuji Naka take. Just like Sonic the Hedgehog, but um, yeah, yeah. Okay, so Jay, we've reached your number one, right? Yes, that's correct. Um, I will preface this by saying, like, like, what, like asking truly, like, what does it mean for a Sonic game to be good? 
it, should the <laughs> should the number one Sonic game be like the objectively best, or should it be the one that tries to be the best game? Um, in this in mind, my number one Sonic game is Sonic Adventure Two, two thousand and one. Um, nice. There's, here comes Jay to burn the entire episode down. Here we go. It. Here we go. Um, <laughs> this was originally released on the Dreamcast. Uh, I think most people probably would have played this um, on the GameCube when it was re- uh, re-released as Sonic Adventure Two Battle with some extra multiplayer components. Um, so, yep, this is a 3D platformer. Um, this got eighty nine percent on Metacritic, which is really interesting because I think like the retrospective view on these games is that everyone hated them but these reviewed well at the time sonic adventure one really is a very rough game and it feels like it was very much kind of like a testing ground yeah um, we talked before with like sonic extreme and there was like a multiple attempts to try and figure out what makes sonic work in 3d or if it can work uh what can you do with this franchise and how can it evolve sonic one is like it's rough um it's kind of endearing um, hasn't aged super well. Um, I think Sonic Adventure Two is like they take they took everything that they learned from that and like made something that's like a lot more refined. This is like a wild game. So one of the, we mentioned before, like you know, the, these games often suffer from you know, especially in the HD era, you can't do that many levels, you can't have that much content because it's expensive to produce and Sonic goes too fast. Um, this is like before Sonic was like rocketing he's going fast he's got to go fast but he's not like going super fast and also again like producing assets in the hd era is much more expensive than it was unlike the kind of like the dreamcast playstation 2 era um Mm. so this has quite a lot of content so the premise of this game which was at the time like a 20th anniversary so this was them going all out is that there's like there's two story campaigns you have like the hero story and the dark story and then each of them has three playable characters we're now hitting the point where Sonic has a million friends. Uh, there's all the different Sonic flavors. You've got like, I don't know, there's a Sonic for every day of the week. And then you beat these two stories. They have these intersecting plot lines and three gameplay modes. So you play through, like there's like these platforming sections where you're going through a Sonic or Shadow. And then you have these kind of treasure hunting levels where you play as uh, Knuckles or new character Rouge the Bat. And then you have, like, action mech combat. It's just just weird choices. Just weird choices. Mm. The third gameplay is where you're playing as Tails driving a mech or Eggman driving a mech. Just, like, who would come up with that? It's so strange. Like, this it's this game is the peak of... When we talked well, as well about um, Sonic becoming this kind of ironic, post-self-aware thing, I think Sonic Adventure 2 is, like, the point at which it was its most ambitious and it was... It, it, the most earnest the franchise gets. The the plot line of this game introduces Shadow the Hedgehog without any hint of irony. It takes itself very seriously. Um and it's got like lots of like grand set pieces and stuff, uh like fully voiced cutscenes, a whole mini game where you play as this like in the Chow Garden, which is this Ugh. kind of Tamagotchi esque like creature breeding and raising side game. It's just it's just a wild game. I think this is to a certain age bracket of people playing the Sonic games or like the fandom who have like stuck around for so long this is the point at which is the, this is the most endearing to them this is the thing that endures for them I think for me I played this when I was like 10 and I was like this is the coolest game I've ever played and maybe that's the healthiest way to view Sonic is what is the most exciting Sonic game when you're 10 years old 
Mm. And I think this encapsulates everything around that aspect of Sonic. And I think it's still great, but also, like, it's not. Like, it's not that great a game, but it's it tries to do so much, you can't help, like, admire what it strives for. Um, do either of you have much experience or history with this one? It's a big, like, blank spot on my Sonic knowledge is the adventure games. What about you, Matthew? Uh, yeah, I, I, I bought this on GameCube in an attempt to like get my head around it and uh i i kind of can't stand it <laughs> um for me this everything you've said about like how wild it is I, I just see that as a just mess like it's a game that tries to be three different games only one of those is partially good um which is the the, the kind of platforming element of it that the like you say the treasure hunt and the mech stuff i thought garbage the cutscenes, the story—it's the character. Here is just where like all the character stuff just comes to the front, and it's so naff and shapeless, and it's basically everything Nintendo weren't doing. You know, Nintendo was so disciplined and so careful not to kind of overstep the mark with anything, and this was just like a, a jumble of stuff. But I think the point you make about the the one you play when you're ten is 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 like super super relevant, and I can understand if this was like. You know, I think as a gateway drug. Yeah, I think I can this... certainly understand why someone could play this and then, following on from that, enjoy everything that's happened since, yeah. or be into elements of what happened since. Where for me, I was like, this is the full stop on Sonic for me. I think for me um, as well, it was a sense of like I grew up with Sonic in this like two D form with like limited story. I liked the character, I liked the iconography, and then having played those and having those memories, and it's like right, we jump to three D. Now it's all serious. Now it's very, like... It It wants to do so much with the storytelling. It's very serious. Like, um, at some point... In, like, this, it gets so, like, tonally strange. At some point, um, Sonic and his friends watch archived footage of Dr. Robotnik's grandfather delivering his last words before he's executed <laughs> right. by the US government for committing <laughs> war crimes. But it's like I a Rick and Morty episode or something. No, but- I t- I tell you what it's like. It's it's everything I hate about Nomura games as well. <laughs> oh, it's like, very Nomura. Like, it's extremely Kingdom Hearts. This is like pre Kingdom Hearts. Kingdom yes. Hearts. This is this is someone who just completely misjudges the look of something and the tone of the storytelling and goes, "It looks completely dumb and cartoony, but I'm going to marry something that is so self serious to it." And there's going to be government conspiracies and there's going to be a law you don't really understand. Like the story is going to be way more complicated than we can we can ever actually convey in our limited dialogue and limited voice acting. It's just, it's whatever branch of game storytelling that is, I, everything on that branch I cannot stand. Sonic and Kingdom Hearts have got a surprising amount of shared DNA. It's everything but the kitchen sink, all of it bad. Yeah, except I think one has Goofy in it. It's true. Um, you, know. you can sum this up. At the end of this game, Shadow the Hedgehog dies and then the credits roll with like sad music playing over it. It's very serious. <laughs> like you, you really get the 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 impression that they felt like they were creating something grand and epic, and I think to me, I I find that more in like even now, I find that more endearing than Sonic just being kind of snarky and self aware about not being very good. I appreciate when like creatives try and do something grand rather than kind of mm. like sell themselves short up front. Um, hmm. I don't know what it would yeah. be like to play this going in blind right now. <laughs> I've watched some like um, I've watched like uh, video playthroughs of like uh, older Sonic fans who never played this going back and playing it, 
and they found this one like the best of the 3D bunch. They found this kind of cute and novel. Um, yeah, it's. I think it definitely is. I think this is to a certain generation of the fan, the fans. This is the what they remember and what they want Sonic to strive to be again. Um, mm. It has a great soundtrack. It has like this like kind of punk rocky. I don't know. It's very weird. There's a, there's multiple yeah. Knuckles raps. Um, it's very memorable. Like um, it, any other famous historical speeches. I'm in not it? in this one, um, <laughs> but um, oh, I did read that all the knuckle raps were written and recorded in the same day. Um, the soundtrack recently <laughs> got like a vinyl re-release because it's so popular to this day. Um, more so than like a lot of the soundtracks that came after this point. Um, Sonic wears branded shoes in this game only. There was a band, brand of shoes called Soap, which were designed so you could grind on rails in real life, like Sonic. And he wears licensed <laughs> trainers for the whole game. How many people broke themselves trying to copy Sonic? <laughs> That's the most fucking early naughty things I've ever heard of, that the people were trying to grind on rails. This game's aesthetic is so early noughties, and I think it feels like a time capsule in a way that like the something like Sonic CD feels like a time capsule of what they were going for in the mid-90s. This feels so early noughties. And I think, I think it's like held on because it's so endearingly a representation of that era that it, mm. that's why it's kind of like maintained itself but i also can't say this is like a great game but it's yeah it's but, so much fun this is, the thing. this is what i think i was talking about all the videos i watch they get to their number one choice and they're like oh, it's not very good <laughs> but but uh, it is the best uh and that's that's sonic that's, that's, that's not sonic that's totally sonic i can I can plausibly see why critics at the time liked it, just because um, it was such a like the, the Dreamcast was so beloved by the people who who owned it, mm-hmm. like, and that that goodwill has never gone away. And it actually has a really good final burst of like, um, well, I, I guess I can't comment on this; I haven't played it. But they have Shenmue Two, this um, Res, and then like a fairly solid like action stealth game called Headhunter in like the last like burst of life for the um, Dreamcast. That's a pretty solid like. Um, outro to it so maybe people kind of like tied in the demise of sega in the um hardware market with this a little bit and there's kind of some extra goodwill that comes from that i don't know but um i can see why critics wouldn't have hated it at the time basically but uh also i suppose the fundamentals of 3d platforming were still being like you know perfected by nintendo it's not like nintendo absolutely knocked it out of the park at the same time like this is mario sunshine this is like a troublesome era mm. for 3d platformers There's some it goes some weird stuff happens <laughs> um but at least you know they didn't give mario like 15 friends and a tie it all up in a mad fbi conspiracy <laughs> <laughs> oh, anything else you wanted to kind of like um, add on this one jay before um, we move on to my number one yeah there's a so i think this is they were doing some crazy stuff with this time. So, like, the Chow Garden, uh, I mentioned that. This is one of these things that the fans say every single game, when are you bringing back the Chow Garden? There were these Ugh. little, like, blue fairy creatures that you could raise, and you could collect items in the levels, like, um, to increase their stats, and then you could have, like, little battles with them. They could breed and, like, mutate. Oh, Sonic shouldn't be breeding anything. Sonic That's shouldn't be breeding fir- anything. A firm rule I have. Um, Sonic should not be breeding anything. They had some really cool... Um, <laughs> on the GameCube version, it had some really cool um, interactivity with Sonic Advance, where you could port, like, Chows into Sonic Advance and then, like, bring them back and you could get, like, rare versions of Chows so you could get, like, special metallic coloured ones or transparent ones. And it was this surprisingly deep system that I believe they were playing around with back in, like, Knights, the, uh, on the Sega Saturn. And this is the evolution of, like, 
some systems that they invented in Knights. It just feels like such an ambitious game. Like, even when I think about, like, Mario Sunshine, which in retrospect is, like, it doesn't have much... There's not much, like, to that game. It's quite small scale. And then compared to Sonic, which is, like, we've got this, like, X-Files storyline, multiple campaigns, and, like, this breeding side game for some reason. Um, (laughs) This has, like, driving levels and stuff as well. They're all bad. Like, the driving (laughs) levels are bad. But like, oh, it's great. just I'm glad that they're there. Yeah, it's just <laughs> there's something so endearing. Maybe it's just like, as a creative, like the idea that they strive for something so great and like hit the landing to ten year olds. I don't know. I find it. I find it. Yeah, very. It's, it's weird because normally those games do speak to me. Like a lot of my favorite games are like big swings that don't quite land. Mm-hmm. That the they 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 they're closer to landing. I think. I think that this on paper, big swing, yes, but it, it's just so. It's all a little bit too wide of the mark. It's the danger zone. This is almost like this could almost be one of my favourite games. I think it's just everything's just an inch out, and that puts it in You're, just nightmare zone. And you probably arrived to it slightly too old as well, Matthew. Yeah, like, that um, is definitely that is definitely it. I think. Yeah. I think what this started with Sonic games is that this feeling of like they're striving for something greater i wonder if part of the like the sonic cycle is um people hoping they finally stick the landing with one of these games because it's like charlie brown trying to kick the football they never truly live up to what they attempted with games like this i know like games like sonic Mm. forces was recently like kind of like a a sonic adventure throwback and being very serious and story focused and then people didn't like that one either um it's almost like you can tell that there's a particular kind of vision they've attempted to hit with these games and they managed to succeed on the 2D games like um like Sonic Mania is a perfect encapsulation of it succeeds at trying to do what it's trying to do but maybe the tragedy of Sonic and the enduring legacy is that they never succeeded to really quite get exactly there was no there was never the perfect Sonic adventure game but they almost mm. got there and i think that's what's like keeps a lot of people around all these years maybe the next one is the one that finally actually is the all-round super great sonic adventure game that they never got to make well it's um it's nice to hear you um sort of like explain the kind of like uh, i don't know i could kind of i feel like i've got a bit better grasp of like why the fandom likes this yeah, era of sonic the twisted mentality behind it, it. <laughs> yeah all right great well, well we're down to my number one which is on the opposite end of the scale really which is um sonic the hedgehog 2 really obvious choice but it had to be in here um I played this game probably more than any other game as a kid. I actually never finished it until I was an adult because I think the last, um, the final boss in this game fucking sucks. Really it's hard. Way, Is that way a giant too robot? Yeah. And there are no rings at the start of the level. So when it resets, you just get hit once and you're dead. And then, like, you have to start the entire fucking game again. Like, it's just insane. But, um, you know, when you play it these days, you can obviously, like, hard save at a certain point um, before the final boss and then just do it normally. And um, it's quite a spectacle of a final boss, this giant mech suit that shoots these spike hands at you and stuff. But, um, yeah, generally speaking, though, I picked this because I think the first, like, four levels, um, so Emerald Hill Zone and then um, Chemical Plant and Aquatic Ruins and Casino Night Zone are just, like, a, a really fun come-home-from-school I'm just going to blast through these levels for an hour and have a really fucking good time. Um, mm. Sort of like platforming experience. So 
this one has quite an interesting background, as um, I'm sure you both know from watching those videos. It was um, actually made in America because Yuji Naka fell out with um, Sega of Japan. Uh, didn't sound like they were paying him very well, so he left and then got convinced by Mark Cerny to move to America, joined the Sega Technical Institute, the very unfortunate acronym of STI. And um, yeah, so from there, they make this um, basically kind of like mega sort of Sonic game. And um, even though their original vision was like much wider, they had loads of fucking levels in mind and like alternate versions of levels in mind. Uh, it was something I kind of didn't know until I um, watched that documentary this week. This um, What they end up with, I think, is like a really beautiful looking le- uh, game with like really clear identity for each of the different levels, even though I do think they trail off a little bit towards the end. Um, and yeah, just a real feeling of sort of spectacle. It feels like a very grand sort of like blockbuster Mega Drive game and just a, a bit more colourful and um, fun to play than Sonic 1. So, uh, yeah. Either of you have thoughts on this one? Very much with you on this uh, one I have, like, probably most memories of, fondest memories of. Yeah, just just re- really jaunty. I always got super stressed out. I, I didn't like that water level early on, though. <laughs> mm. Yeah, the, well, the, Sonic, Sonic Drowning is quite a grim thing to see. It's hor- very, yeah, very, very disturbing, yeah. That that has put that put me off. My negative feelings towards all water levels largely can be traced back to the, the stress of drowning in that game. Mm. Yeah, it's a good point. Waiting for those big bubbles to appear and yeah, yeah it the was music quite, yeah. gets super aggressive and. Ugh. What I really like about that level is that if um, if you're really like really careful, you can avoid going into the water altogether. You have to like go across these quite tight sort of swinging puzzles at the start. And and then if you do that, then you don't actually get stuck in like the long water stretch where you can drown. And I quite like that as a kind of alternate route through the level. So um, mm. yeah, generally speaking, I think the level design in this is pretty good. But uh, yeah, it does trail off. Thanks for the tip, you... Games Master. <laughs> um, thank you. Yeah, yeah, no problem, no problem. Um, so yeah, I like Sonic Two. A lot of affection for it. I've played it to death now, and so um, it was quite interesting as a kind of adult to come back and play Sonic CD and Sonic Three and Knuckles without having the same level of experience with them and being like, okay, these are. I don't think Sonic CD is a better game than Sonic 2, but Sonic 3 and Knuckles probably is overall. Like, if you were to put them all side by side as new games now, you'd probably think that that was the best one because it's got so much content in it. But, um, yeah, Sonic 2 just gets everything right and justifiably a classic. Anything to add on this one, Jay? Um, This is my favourite of the Mega Drive ones when I was younger. It does get very... I remember around, like, Metropolis Zone, towards the end, it getting really hard. And I've never beaten... Again, I've never beaten this in a single stretch... I, I've never beaten the final boss. Very hard. Yeah, this was probably the one I played the most. It's the most accessible, I think, out of um, maybe including Sonic 1, although Sonic 1's a little bit easier. I feel like it's the addition of, like, um, Tails means that you can kind of do something along the lines of co-op where someone else can control Tails. Um, it's just good fun. Um, yeah, I have a lot of positive memory of this one. Pretty much echo the same sentiments uh, as both of you. Yeah, great. Yeah, I think um, I like uh, uh, Tails is kind of like an AI companion who you kind of send to their death um, in order to like defeat a boss. It's like I, I quite like that as a dynamic. Okay, cool. Well, we're wrapped up then. We did it. We did a whole episode about Sonic the Hedgehog. Um, and if you're still listening, well it. done. <laughs> oh, it's good. It didn't turn into just an endless dunkathon. I thought that was some legit Sonic chat. Yeah, it was a bit like our Yakuza episode where it's kind of like a careful, like, well, what is this and what are the different areas of this? And um, yeah, Ooh. I very much enjoyed it. So well, thank you for joining us, Jay. Where can people find you on social media? Um, you could find me at um, on Twitter. Um, my studio is called uh, Byton Studio, uh, B-Y-T-T-E-N. Um, and if you want to look at our game, uh, Cassette Beasts, you can go on cassettebeasts.com. 
yeah, that's um, well worth a look. I think um, if you have kind of like a history of Pokemon, you'll um, you'll dig what Jay is working on. And at the same time, if you want to follow us on Twitter, I'm Samuel W. Roberts. Where can people find you, Matthew? I'm Mr. Basil underscore Pesto. If you want to follow the podcast on Twitter, it's um, BackpagePod. If you want to email us a question to read out in a future episode, it's BackpageGames at gmail.com. And uh, yeah, if you'd like to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, we'd really appreciate that. Any of those we get is just um, good for us finding new listeners. So um, thank you to everyone who's done it so far. And uh, we'll be back next week with an episode about cover features. So look forward to that. Goodbye. Goodbye.